Recorded live. Greetings, who's on the line? Shalom. Uh, for on the record, this is Minister Cedric in Israel, <laughs> tribe of Judah. I just tried to actually dial the number in so that I could log in as the moderator, but I didn't know you set up the call, brother. Um, yeah, and I didn't even know I was supposed to be off today. So the first thing I thought was, I'm going to go ahead and try to set up the line. <laughs> but you did it. So um, I'll yield the floor, brother. Yeah, there's nobody on here anyway. So um, I will uh, wait for a moment and see who comes on. But um, what did you learn about the Electoral College? In uh in class in school, uh, what I what I learned it was crazy because um I didn't really learn too much about the electoral college, um and that's only because it was almost kind of like uh it was almost kind of taboo. In a sense, it was just kind of like okay, here's the voting rights. I mean, here's the voting procedures. And then you're voting for president. And you have your uh, representatives, and we live in a representative democracy. But then there's the Electoral College, and, you know, they're the ones who pick the president in the story. And it's almost kind of like, well, can you expound upon that? Because there's a whole lot of people who don't know what the Electoral College is and what they do. They don't know what system of uh, uh, operations that they're predicated upon. Um, and what I, I end up learning is that, you know, the institution of electoral college goes beyond the United States uh, history. It goes way back to the Roman electoral uh, system where they elected the German electoral princes. Actually, you can find that in the Black Small Dictionary. It tells you there. It tells you there exactly what the electors are and how the electoral college, so to speak, comes to uh, uh, be and what it actually uh, is and how it works. Um, but I guess what I learned about the Electoral College is, you know, uh, pretty much, you know, what what I learned about the Electoral College came from tribes. It did not come from school. <laughs> you say it that way. Um, wow. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> Political science and you don't learn the important stuff. Now, that, no, I you know. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Um, Brother Alex, is you on the line? Shalom, shalom. Yes, this is me, Brother Priest. I got a question for you, Brother. How do you know how to travel around Chicago? Um, what? Because I, I just saw where this young guy was uh, killed in a good area. So how do you know which areas are safe and, you know, how do you keep yourself protected and sustainable? Well, I mean, me personally, I, I I just try to keep a clear head and also pay attention to my surroundings. But Chicago, you know, we all know that it's a big city. And, I mean, violence is everywhere. I was just downtown, me and a couple of my friends, doing some photography stuff. And the guy at this department store was like, come here. He was like, man, wow, 
this is my first time seeing some black guys with cameras. So we all looked at each other like, man, this guy's like, you need to get out the hood, bro. Like, we, you got black photographers out here. But he was just actually letting us know that he sees, you know, mostly white photographers coming in out of the department store. So he told us to come here, and he was saying that uh, it was an incident that happened downtown last week where it was a photographer taking pictures. This guy walked up behind him with a little knife, slit his, his strap that holds the camera, and ran off. But the police caught the guy two blocks, you know, within two blocks. But he was just saying, just be careful because it's holiday season. But we were just looking at each other like, wow. I mean, we're not even safe downtown. You would probably think you would be safe because it's downtown. It's in Chicago, and it's predominantly white people down there, and everybody, you know, down there shopping just, you know, where the rich people at. But it's more dangerous stuff going on down there is that it's like in, in, in the hood or in the ghetto that they say. But I just try to stay grounded and stay protected because you never know, Brother Priest. It happens everywhere, like anywhere. It shocks us every day just here. Man, you ever seen the Hebrews on the streets? You know what, Brother Priest? Uh, it's a lot of Hebrews up here. And actually, it's a lot of, like, on uh, South Chicago. It's a street called South Chicago. It's a Hebrew place. I forgot the name of it. All I knew I saw was Hebrew Israelite. But to be honest with you, <laughs> I never stepped foot inside their doors. Not saying I have anything wrong with it wrong with them or anything like that, you know, listening to you and everything like that. I try not to keep my head all clouded and, you know, crazy with the Hebrews and people saying you above the law, this and that, because let me tell you, you got some crazy Hebrews too. <laughs> and I just ran into a lot of guys, you know, so Hebrews, uh, we just got a, uh, another guy that's working in the shop with us. He's a Moor. So it's like, man, now I'm in here with a Moor that works with me. So he cool, you know, I greet him and everything. But, I mean, yes, we got a lot of places up here. And I also heard you last week, you was talking about, uh, I don't know if he was a Moorish American or a Hebrew, but a guy in Chicago. I know you was talking about a lot of Chicago guys last week with the uh, sovereignty stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because uh, Chicago started spreading a rumor about my website that it was um uh owned by Queen Valera Lanita El Hari Bay. And so a lot of people when I right before I started the nation, a lot of people were thinking they would email me thinking that um they could talk to Queen Valera and I don't know why or how this really happened but I know it came out of Chicago, and right. one, one of the guys, I forget his name now, but there's a guy that he lives in Chicago and Detroit. Like, he he splits his time, but he's from Chicago, and he teaches that sovereign more stuff. And I happened mm-hmm. to meet him. I think I met him, like, 2010, but I found out that he heard about me through other people a couple of years before then. And so he could have been the connection that started, but from that from that point on, I just started meeting a lot of people from Chicago and stuff like that that were into this Morris sovereignty stuff. And just yeah. 
trying to help them straighten out their thinking. You know yes, because look, not to cut you out, Brother Priest, like the Morris, the guy that the Moore, the guy that worked with me, he came in the other day, and I paid close attention. In his hand, he had a book. So I read the book. It said the Bible Dictionary, and I laughed. I said, wow, these boys trying to get it. <laughs> and I was, like, just laughing and everything. But, I mean, just being around some of the more, you know, as far as my experience, I'm going to be real with you. It's just that they think that they above the law. And they, you know, I'm in a shop with this guy. He, like, he had a client that worked for CTA. The guy got the CTA uniform. Him and this other Morris guy telling this guy, hey, man, don't you know when you go to work you paying yourself? Man, forget that job, man. I'm telling you, man, I can't work a job. And I'm saying, I'm listening to both of these guys. Fast, mm. this guy about the corporation and everything. So forget the job. I'm saying to myself, they don't even have their own place, nor a car. Mm. How are they going to tell this man to quit everything so he can be just like them and be mad at the system? And, you know, so it's like I'm listening. I didn't say anything. I'm just shaking my head like, wow, this stuff is crazy. But just to let you know, it's just that it's a lot of stuff that go on in Chicago, too, especially as far as the Moors and everything, you know. I was just always taught that with the Moors, they stay away from them because they ignorant to law. And once I heard that, I was like, wow, dang, that was a mouthful. So I just backed off, even with the guys saying that, oh, man, we can help you get nationalized. And then, like, I asked one of the other Moors guys that work with me just to pick his brain. I said, hey, uh, man, I might need you, bro. As a brother, I'm like, man, because I'm trying to, you know, protect myself as far as my photos. Tell me what my coming law, you know, have to, have to uh, uh, teach me how to uh, copyright my name and everything. He, oh, brother, I got you. That's easy. All you got to do is go downtown, you know, file this, file that, but you don't want to do it with the state. Yeah, he, you know, he said some good things, but I'm just, you know, listening to him and everything because one thing with me, I got a good ear, you know. I, I know and I hear BS. And I know when I hear real stuff because you can feel it within. So, yeah. That's pretty interesting. You never said this publicly, but I'm going to say it here. So there's, there was a woman in, um, she was, well, there's a city just outside of Detroit. It's right next to Detroit called Southfield. And this woman was called Mother Truth. And she was going around because she was a, um, a notary. And she had some other type of credentials. I can't remember. But um, anyway, she was going around in the sovereign movement and telling people she could um, uh, save their house and stuff. And so... Um, I want to say this is like probably like 2008 when I got wind of her and I never met her. Um, but like I would go someplace and she would have just been there and just left. So it was like, it was crazy because most of the people in Detroit that are Negroes that call themselves sovereigns and all that. They really only hung out at one spot, which was a dojo. And um, the, the leader of the dojo was named Bobby L. He was a student of um, Dr. York and uh, Professor Bobby L. That was his name. And he was a martial artist, like the top-ranked martial art, Negro martial artist in the world. So everybody, all the so-called sovereigns and nationals and moors and all of them everybody would meet there 
to deal with sovereign, talking sovereign stuff, all right? So what happened was Mother Truth had went there, and she got thrown out. And I had just got there the day that she had got thrown out. She just got thrown out. Now, look, this woman went across the country. She went across the city first, talking about saving people's uh, houses and how you pay her, and then you can uh, win your case because a mortgage is fraud, and you can win a million dollars. Okay, so... So if you pay her, she'll show you how to how to do it. Now, I met another guy who had told me he won a million dollars on his case uh, in federal court, and I knew that the source that those two had they had to, they knew each other. Mm-hmm. I knew they knew each other. Okay, so Mother Truth. All of a sudden, I didn't hear anything else about her. And then my friend Maduti brought over these CDs from this guy named Tony King. And Tony King was a Christian pastor who was going around talking about this uh, DTC um, account and how you can tap into this DTC account. I heard about that. Okay, so I heard Mother Truth on... Tony King's CDs because Maduti was trying to. Maduti's with Dr. York too. Uh, Dr. York gave him his name and everything. And so Maduti was trying to get me to join on with this, um, this uh, Tony King stuff. And that's when I told him this stuff is fraud. But I listened to it and I heard her talk about the million dollar what is the million dollar baby or whatever. So little bit after that, she left town. She left Detroit. She was following um, Tony King. And then all of a sudden she pops up. I think she was in California or something like that. Wherever the hell she was, I can't remember at this time, but turn out that she was dealing with, someone close to my family and and charged them $30,000 pay their house and told this individual that they were going to get a million dollars if they pay her $30,000. Oh, come on. That's the oldest trick in the book. She ended up losing her house. Hold on, let me back up. Mother Truth ended up living, moving in with with this individual, staying there for six months, while just soaking her dry at thirty thousand dollars. Wow. Then, after she lost the house, Mother Truth moved to somebody else's house. told him the same thing, did the exact same thing to them, but this time she she asked for $100,000. Whoa. Okay, now, 
I've never said anything, so I'm going to just run down some history about this sovereign stuff that um, you don't hear me normally talk about. But being from Detroit, I, I really want to put this out so we can all have a record of it. All right, now this is what happened. I discovered Taj Tariq Bay in like 2000 and I want to say 2004. Yeah, around 2004. I discovered Taj Tariq Bay uh, and Ali Muhammad and I think Hakeem Bay and Queen Valor. All right. Now, I discovered them just by me doing research. Well, no, it, it was 2003, because that's when I was working on um, my first DVD release, the, the Missing Link. So, no, I was going into the second one. But anyway, so when I discovered them, I looked at some of their work for the, for about two years. I was looking at their work. Then, I, when I decided to work on the next uh, release, I started using these DVDs that I got of them, all right? So I, I do this release, The Missing Link, The Matrix Unplugged, and nobody had heard of these people, like, across the country. Nobody had heard of these people. So one guy, his name is Geronimo, and at the time, I was going over to the Marcus Gar- the new Marcus Garvey movement slash Black Panther Nation headquarters in Detroit. I was there every week. I was volunteering, sweeping the floors, cleaning the toilet. I just wanted to be around my people. So Geronimo walks up to me and is like, man, that DVD, who's that guy on that DVD with the red hat on? And I'm like, uh, Todd Tariq Bay. He's like, can you get in contact with him? I said, well, I have some information, but I don't know. So he called. I got the phone number to Todd. Um, from this website that I got the DVD from. Gave it to Geronimo, and he and and the leader of the uh, New Marcus Garvey movement and myself brought Ty Tariq Bay to Detroit for the first time. Now, my DVD was blowing up, so nobody knew who these people were at the time, but everybody was bootlegging my DVD. So when he came to Detroit, he had a nice, a real nice audience, like probably about, I'd say about 300 people. All right. Now, I meet Todd, um, you know, listening to him and all this type of stuff. And then next, after he left, Geronimo wanted to bring him back again, but this time he wanted to bring two two of the people from my DVD, which was Taj and Ali Muhammad. So that that time, I think that would have been 2007. That's on YouTube, and it, and I'm sitting in the audience in, in there. But anyway, that's the time when Ali Muhammad called me out to the front, put me on Front Street because he was. Ali Muhammad, Dr. Ali Muhammad, if you look him up, if you don't know him, look him up. He told the whole audience that he used my DVD to teach his classes. Mm. He did, and in his own tape that he said this. He gave me his home number. 
gave me his cell number. He's like, man, you a genius. This is what he's saying in front of everybody. And I told him I was a Hebrew, and it didn't seem to bother him at the time. But anyway, so that day, um, Ali and Taj had a falling out. Mm. This is before these guys' names got big, so you got to understand how this was working. Now, now, I was right in the midst of it. Okay. So I started to find out more and more about what Taj teaches. And I started to find out more and more about what Ali is teaching. And I'm like, what in the hell is this stuff? Taj was on his way to Detroit and gets arrested Mm. over over some, uh, well, if I remember correctly, child support. (laughs) Okay. No. Wow. (laughs) I've never said these things. The only people that know these things are like Sister Tora. So some of the stuff I'm about to put on this recording today, do not repeat. This ain't to go slander <laughs> people's names. Okay, now this is what happened. I got to lead up to, that's in 2007 when Taj got arrested. So I got to go back some, a couple of years so you can see what's going on. From 2003, Detroit was just flooded with really 2001, but I didn't get around these people into 2003. So from 2001 to 2003, Detroit was flooded with UCC filings from people claiming they so-called Moorish nationality uh, or just nationality, period. First, it wasn't Moorish. After 2003, it was Dr. York who was trying that stuff, and he's the one that tied in the Moorish stuff. Now, after 2003, um, allegedly, around 2003, Taj Tariq Bay and all these other people were with Dr. York. Now, that's the story that I got. They were with Dr. York, and they took up the studies from Dr. York, and then they went off and branched and did their own thing, and now they got all these other splinter groups. All right, so look, Madudi, my friend, which this would have been around 2008, he had went to North Carolina to deal with Amir. All right, so there's going to be a, a, a jumbled story, but you'll get it. Amir was supposed to be a student of Taj Tariq Bay. Now, Madudi told me this in 2008, but he had went in 2006. All right. Amir was doing paperwork for $250, making so-called making people sovereign. So all the people in the Detroit dojo were all driving to North Carolina to have him do this paperwork. From I guess 2003, 2004, and I didn't get wind of it until 2008. People still, people probably are still going on there paying that guy. Amir 
wait, let me back up. Queen Valera was studying under Taj. And they split up. Allegedly, they might have had a relationship or whatever. Who knows? But then she allegedly moved to North Carolina and lived with Amir. So the, the woman you see on Queen Valor, Queen Mother, teaching Blacks Law and all that, this is how it really went down, according to what when I was in the circle. So she's living with Amir, allegedly, at the time in North Carolina. She had left Philly and went to North Carolina, and they're selling these sovereign packages, and she's supposed to be and started a Moorish government. So she ended up getting arrested for trying to do some stuff on a, uh, trying to make a claim on a rental car, trying to use that um, promissory notes and all that stuff on a rental car. And she ended up getting arrested. Then once she got out, she taught a little bit more. And then all of a sudden she was with Amir making money. And then all of a sudden she disappears. All right. Never heard from her again. I still haven't heard from her. And that was around between 2006 and 2008. So as I'm seeing this, I'm seeing the origins of Taj, Ali Muhammad, Queen Valera, Hakeem Bey, all these people, I'm like in the circle at this time, if you can imagine. And I'm getting firsthand information about everything these people are doing because everybody around me seemed to be just gravitating towards Ali or Todd's or Queen. Everybody. And then all the people that weren't doing it, they were going down to North Carolina getting their paperwork for 250 so then, so then this um, fable came out. If you don't have your seven documents, you're not sovereign and you're not a more. So now everybody jumped on the bandwagon with this UCC filing. So they were saying, okay, you got to have this UCC filing in these seven documents or you're not a more and you're not a sovereign. Everybody start charging money. They started $100, went up to $300, $500, $1,200, $3,000, $5,000, doing UCC filings, okay? Now, I'm coming out on the streets preaching against this stuff because I was seeing it not legitimate. I knew it wasn't legitimate. I was seeing it fail, right? All right, now... There's some brother that came out like, I don't know, 2011. Now, now, granted, I was doing this around this back in 01, 03, 06, all the way up to 08, oh, and be, this before the nation. 2011, some guy named Polite comes out, called himself Brother Polite, and a guy calls into the uh, blog talk radio show. This is when I was on Blog Talk Radio. And he's telling me, yeah, man, I, I paid all this money to this guy, and they, they're supposed to be doing my sovereign paperwork. Now, mind you, I have been blasting this stuff for five and six years. I have been just totally going against it. He's on the radio talking to me about it. He's like, well, can you can you look over my paperwork and tell me if it's legit? 
So I talked to him off the air. He sends me the paperwork, which I still have to this day, and it turns out it's polite. Okay? So when I was reading over the stuff, it it was a UCC file and barely had anything on it, and the guy told me he paid him $1,200 for that file. Lord have mercy. Now, I I told him on air it was fraud, but I was like, okay, I'll look look over it. I looked over it. It's still in the email box to this day. I still have it. Now, this guy, Militant Mike, he gets up, you know, is dealing with polite. Then he starts saying, he starts telling me, Brother Priest, this guy is copying you. I don't know, what are you talking about? He's like, when he first came out, he had some long uh, Egyptian name. Then all of a sudden, he changed it to Brother Polite. Like, yeah. your brother Priest is Brother Polite. I'm like, mm. okay. Then all of a sudden, now he's talking about dowry. He's talking about Hebrew language. Um, and I'm like, what? Then all of a sudden, he's talking about real estate and all these different things. And Militant Mike, being a member of that organization and being a, a, a kind of like a friend of mine, is telling me everything. Man, he's over here doing this. By the time it was over, Militant Mike had got all these people to, uh, some of them from Chicago, to join on with Polite. They ended up spending $15,000 a piece. Him and his friends. Him and his friends. They were supposed to get uh-huh. all this stuff, right? So they made over, he, Polite made over $60,000 from four people. That oh, in God. The, the other three were with uh, were with Militant Mike, okay? One of the guys in Chicago was a gang, a former gangbanger. Uh-oh. He gets, he gets pissed off and is coming to see Polite. And, I'm, and, and Militant Mike is calling me like, man, we about to do this, 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 and this. And this man don't give us some money back. I said, brother, do not do that. Don't do it. I said, call him, give him a ch- tell him what's going on. He said, I've been trying to call him. He ain't answered the phone. He ain't returned my emails. I said, you just be patient until you get in contact with him. Get him on the phone, tell him what's going on, and give him a chance. Now, I'm sure Polite don't know this, but this is, this is what really went down. Now, Militant Mike calls me on the phone. And on the other line is polite, okay? I want to say this is maybe 2012 at this time. On the other line is polite, right? Uh, So he's like, he clicks over. He's like, man, this bitch is on the phone crying. (laughs) Oh, wow. I just flatlined for the 2016. <laughs> wow. Yes, I did. Wow. I'm telling you, that's what happened, right? So he was like, he's going to give me his money back and all that. So a couple more days go by, and he's polite, supposed to get them all their money back or whatever. So a couple days go by, 
and Polite is trying to go- call the guy in Chicago to get his give him his money back allegedly, but his woman is answering the phone. So now Polite is talking directly to this guy's woman and saying all types of stuff, and then it really got bad because when the guy, the Chicago gangbanger, is like, man, what the hell are you doing talking to my woman? The way that you, particularly the way you talking to her. So, Militant Mike is like talking to me the whole time, and I'm like trying to do whatever I can to keep them from killing this, but this man, because they were on their way to kill him, for real. He had a, a um, he had some type of event that was near. Um, I think Mike Mike is in is in Indiana, like just outside of Chicago, so. He had an event over there, and they were on their way to go kill this boy. And I'm talking to him on the phone like, no, do not do that. I'm talking to him like every day. Mike, you got to stop these guys. You can't let them do that. That's not what this is about. He was like, brother, please understand. But see, he was like, you with all that peace and love stuff, I'm from the streets, man. I got a different kind of ethic. And I'm like, man. You're making a change. You're moving in a positive direction. You know, just stick to the program. So finally, he agrees they ain't going to do nothing to polite. But he said, Brother Priest, I am going to go out and expose him. So he started going on radio shows, and he went on this show called Don uh, Nicole, Nicole Leon. I think it is Don Nicoleon, and he starts spilling it on polite, right? Just mm-hmm. running it down on polite. And I was like, man, you don't want to do that unless you talk to the brother privately, you know, give him a chance. He's like, man, I tried that. I did that. The bitch was on the phone crying and, and doing all this, right? I'm done with that. You, you like, I can't, I can't go touch him up. So I gotta, I gotta do something. It was like, well, brother, I, I understand. I'm out of it. So Polite had done all this stuff to a whole lot of different people, made all types of money. This is coming from Mike, who I know personally. Well, I ain't never met him physically, but I know personally from dealing with him on the phone and stuff for a couple of years. So that's Polite's story right now. While that's happening, mind you, this is like 2012, 2013. Another individual that's close to my family gets involved with Taj Tariq Bay, And they're bringing him out to wherever they are. Um, I can't remember where they were at at the time. They flying him out. And um, he gives this information to this individual and ends up costing them $300,000 in a levy from the IRS. Oh, wow. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about what has been directly in my life. Me having to go and solve and problem solve and get people out of these situations on dealing with these people that are out there calling themselves sovereigns and moors and all that. I don't want this information out in the public. 
I'm just keeping this here, but I'm just saying this is a warning. So the individual tells me Tars didn't have any money. He had to ask them to get him some food. He had to ask wow. them to get him a bus ticket to go back home. And like he was just, he had nothing. And it kept getting worse and worse and worse. When you get a $300,000 levy from the IRS, that's a serious thing. And this individual had never had any problems with the IRS their whole life. Wow. At this now, keep in mind, this is happening with Polite. Now this is happening with Taj Tariq Bay. Now I'm in the nation, just doing nation work, trying to keep teaching and teaching and, you know, speaking against it in the public, not calling out names, but speaking against it. Now here comes Ali Muhammad's group. Guy tells these people, one of his, or what do you call it, law masters, as all these people show up to, I think it was Memphis, Tennessee, and told them he was going to discharge their houses. They had to pay him $5,000. I think it was. <laughs> wow. I think it was $5,000. They know how to hustle, boy. <laughs> Crooks. 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 Yes. Now, Crooks. About 200 people show up paid him $5,000, he made a million dollars. Then, and the reason why I know is I, I don't, I don't want to say who it is, but listen, this is somebody that's very close to me, very close to me, like somebody that I know very well. Not not my like my immediate family, not like my, you know my consort, but somebody that's as close as that, because that individual was there and paid him the money. Good. All of them lost their house. Wow. And he made a million dollars. Now that that blood is on Ali Muhammad's hand, mm-hmm. right? At the same time that's happening, one of his lawmasters came to, um, well, this was a little before that. One of his lawmasters came to me because I, I actually knew this guy. And he asked me to help him do, um, what was it? It was an audit. It was a mortgage audit. All right, so... I turned to him. I'm like, you a law master? You supposed to? You a law master? You asking me to help you do these things? So like, that don't make any sense to me. All right, now I turned that guy over to Jaquim, Chief Minister of Law. Jaquim did it. He he did the um the audit, and the guy never paid Jaquim. Now I cut that guy off. Oh, like, you don't do that, man. You see the stuff that we're doing over here works, and you're going to do that stuff to our people, man. You ain't going to even pay the guy, man. Whatever. So, because of that one guy, he had my email address, which I can't remember what it would have been back then, but because I've had so many. But then, look, he was in ISIS with Dr. Ali, 
So all these people from ISIS got my email address. No. Oh. They all, it was like, it was about 300 of them, at least 300. They all have my email address. Now, they, it was, it was like 500 people all emailed Ali Muhammad, and it all came back to me because it was like forwarded, and they all quit Ali Muhammad. And they were all saying, they quit ISIS, and they were all saying, why they quit and all this stuff. At the same time, that's happening. Mind you, I got my own website where I was selling my own products and all that. So a lady calls me from Georgia. It's like, can you get in contact with Ali Muhammad? Because I sent him my money over a year ago, and I ain't got nothing in return. I sent him my $250, and I didn't get anything back. I was like, I'll try and see, but I can't guarantee. Tried to call him from the numbers he had gave me before when I met him. None of them worked. Tried to email him. Couldn't get through, right? Then other people started contacting me. I ordered something from Ali Muhammad. He never shipped it. I sent him $300. I never got my product. I kept hearing this time and time and time again. Now, all of this is on their heads. And this is just a few of the stories that were happening from really, I want to say, from 2010 through 2013. And it kept getting worse and worse. So the public doesn't know the stuff that I know about those guys in their organization. I never put it out there. I would just warn Look, when you see this, 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 and this, just get away from it. I would never say who these people were because I'm going by the scriptures. I'm saying it now because it's years later, and I'm only saying it privately. So I find out, here's another one, Hakeem Bey. He was um, with the Moore Science Temple, but he hadn't paid his uh, rent in like two years or whatever, and he lived in an apartment in New York City, and they didn't know he didn't know why, but he was like, "I'm just gonna keep doing it," and you know, it's maybe it's because I'm a more. Eventually, he gets evicted. Excuse me. So, all of a sudden, he's off of the scene now. Now, during that time between '06 and '08, that's when I did the Passion of the Israelites. America is falling. I did Missing Link, Matrix Unplugged in 06. Then in 07, I did The Passion of the Israelites, but I didn't. I think I released it late 07. Yeah, I released it late 07 because uh, once in a uh, Mr. Farrakhan was in Detroit at the time. So then all of a sudden, now all, all these Hebrews blow up. Now everybody knows um, what do you call them? Great Millstone. Everybody knows um, IUIC. All of those guys were in my DVDs. And that's how they started getting popular. Now, I start hearing all of this stuff from all of those groups. Now I'm hearing all, and then some of them were getting in so much trouble with the law, they start sending 
um, like GOCC, they sent people over to us to solve their law law problems. And this has been going on. All this stuff that's in the public, when you're looking at them and they're preaching and they're teaching and they're going, doing seminars and all that, I can tell you firsthand that that stuff is all a fraud because I know the people that have been injured, and I've said it, look, I know hundreds if not thousands of people injured by dealing with these people, stay away from it. You remember me talking about this stuff, Shedrick, but I wouldn't say who it was. Do you remember me saying stuff like that in the public? Yes, sir. Yeah, I remember. Well, I'm spilling up my guts today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Like now we know. Goodness. These people are people that were talking all that sovereign stuff. Um, uh, I got so many stories about it that, that my life was mixed up in it. And none of that stuff ever happened to me. None of it ever touched me. I never went through all of that madness that I saw all my people going through. And that's what made me, I was so fed up. That's why I was like, Lord, I got to do something because I can't just sit back and know this. That's when I started preaching. And that's when the Lord put it on my mind. This is the time to raise a nation. That was the climate that I was under that, that just, brought me out of it because the stuff that I was doing in law was all working. Everything I was doing was working. I didn't have any problems like that. And the one or two problems that I did have, uh, some of them were major, but it wasn't really because I had done something wrong. So, So it was like the stuff I was doing was working. I went back to my original studies of my teachers. I brought that stuff back. I went around all the people that I knew that I could find that that were uh, study under the elders, and I started collecting all the information again, and I started to say, okay, it's time to go do it. I'm telling you, for the for the most part, anybody that claims to be sovereign, if they're talking about HJR 192, Uniform Commercial Code, UCC1 filings, they are a fraud. Get the hell away from them. That's what made me start teaching in the nation the truth about these things because these people that call themselves liberators of our people are straight up destroying our people with these fantasy games called sovereignty and nationality. That's what really made me do it. So forgive me for babbling for so long, but I had to say it. <laughs> Shalom. Uh, this is Minister Shedrick. Uh, this is funny you brought this up because the other day, uh, there's this guy I go to school. I went to school with uh, in high school. His name is um, Richard, and um, he I don't know how he got introduced to uh, the quote unquote um, conscious community, so to speak. But before he got heavily into it, I talked to the brother. And, um, you know, I, I reached out to the brother several occasions and let him know. I was just like, brother, you're a Hebrew. I said, you're an Israelite. And I explained it to him, and he was just, like, amazed. But we never extended the conversation. So I guess when he got into trying to figure out the truth, he ran into some people. The other day I was on 
Facebook. I went to my old page after like <sighs> it's been a long time since I've been on that page. And I just so happened to see his wall. And he started talking about, yeah, you got to get up on UCC. I said, oh, God, UCC won. So another guy commented on it and was like, yeah, I've been got up on that. And so I bust out and I said, if you don't know what you're doing, you better stay away from it. And I didn't say anything else after it. But I was just amazed because I was just like, it's just amazing how people come into the quote-unquote conscious community and then the first thing they throw out there is UCC1. Like that is the saving grace <laughs> for mm-hmm. uh, so-called unconscious people trying to become conscious. And it's like anytime you hear that, you can go on YouTube and see like a thousand videos of people, you know, doing whatever with it. I just saw something the other day. A guy was saying he had a trust set up and he was asking people to donate $150. But the way that he sets his stuff up is well worth over $1,500. I I just had to shut down the video. (laughs) I was done at that point because I was just like, this uh, sovereignty stuff has got our people seriously bugging. It's like crack. It's like the new crack. Yeah. It is the no like seriously, it is the new crack. And and they're trying to sell it to other people and it's like it's the it's the new crackhead. And then people being that they're already information junkies when they come in the movement, they hear that, now they addicted. I wanna know everything about a UCC. I wanna know everything about a UCC and I'm just like, Well, you'll find all that out when you go jail. When you go to prison. <laughs> You'll uh-huh. probably more about that there, but um, yeah, man, it's this is interesting. Um, it just kind of shows you how tainted uh, this, I guess you can say, liberation movement has become, and seem like the people who are leading it are our people. And whereas in, you know, we had the Martin Luther Kings and the Malcolm X's, now we got these chump Negroes out here ripping the people off instead of trying to bring them to some type some type of civil justice. They ripping the people off. And then they move into Hollywood. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, man, uh, I hear you, Uck, and, you know, just fortunate enough to be in this particular walking uh, time and can distinguish between, you know, righteousness versus uh, versus uh, self-righteousness. And I honestly can say now I understand the difference between the two. And on that note, I yield. Praise the Lord. Who's in southwest Georgia? Who's in Southwest? That might be um, my brother here. Slum, brother. You you oh. weren't around. You weren't around any of this sovereign stuff, were you, brother? Brother, you never been. No, sir. Never been around. This stuff is. This stuff. I'm telling you. It destroys people's minds, man. Mm-hmm. It, it destroys their personality. The Hebrew Israelites destroy your personality 
The Moors destroy your mind. And Hebrew Israelites to destroy your mind too, but you can at least recover from that faster than these damn Moors, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, I have seen them ruin, break up happy homes. And uh-huh. I'm telling you, it's close to, to even my own family that, like, I understand, like, we come to this nation and we talk these things, but you got to understand, there are people that are around me that think I'm crazy. Wow. <laughs> like, and think I don't know what I'm talking about. And they think that that sovereign stuff is real. And want to argue me down. I'm talking about, I will tell them point blank, if you do this, like one individual, look at this, one individual, um, I think it was Ali Muhammad, somebody like that. Yeah, I think it was Ali. Told him to stop paying his mortgage, right? So he stopped paying his mortgage. Now he gets behind in his mortgage. Now he owes like $20,000 on his mortgage. <laughs> he says that solution or whatever. And so he, they started doing foreclosure, started moving on foreclosures and all that with him, and guess what he had to do? He came to Brother Priest, well, you know, this is what's going on. Can you help me? I said, all you got to do is pay the money. Right. Then you'll be done. Do you have $20,000? Just so happened the individual had $20,000. So I'm like, I'm like, you had this money and you didn't pay it? And I said, listen, when you are disputing anything in law, you're supposed to open an escrow account and put the money in there. He didn't know that, but yet he was dealing with lawmasters. And I said, if you put put it in escrow, they can't foreclose. They can't even start a foreclosure proceeding. Now, Hmm. Now it's like, okay, well, you got that one, Brother Priest, but the other stuff, you don't know what you're talking about. Because when you walk into that court, you're, you're this and that. and all. Oh, okay, I don't know what I'm talking about, huh? All right, so next time you go in court, you watch what I'm telling you is going to happen. They're going to go in there and treat you just like everybody else. And if you put that so-called solemn paperwork in that court case, you are going to walk into court with the judge ready to put you in contempt. So you keep playing if you want, and you're going to end up behind bars. Every single one I told that ended up being put in contempt. Wow. And they, I, I'm t- I remember this couple, they were like Egyptologists slash Moors slash conscious, you know, getting high because they're gods and goddesses, right? And they were married, <laughs> right? And wow. I'm showing them. I, I, they, they invited me to their, to their house to, to teach them. And I'm showing them stuff in Egyptology and the history they don't know about. So they're like, wait a minute. How do you know this stuff? Are you supposed to be, what are you? I'm a Hebrew. How do you know this stuff? Just hear me out. So... 
they said, well, see, we put these documents and we put this lien over here. Then I try out, and if the judge does this, I'm going to put a lien on the judge. I said, all of that stuff you do is going to get you in prison. You don't know what you're doing, don't do it. If you go in there arguing with the judge, you're going to be in contempt. You're probably going to get 30 or 60 days without you even getting your point across. Same two people, this married couple, went in there with that, where's your declaration of authority order? Judge oh, put, them in, put them in jail for contempt for 60 days. And they still don't want to do that for <laughs> they still don't want to come up, come up of it. And I said to so then they contacted the other brother that introduced me to them, and I said, tell them to ask the court for forgiveness. Now, he relayed that to them in jail. They got out the next day. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I've been around... Taj Tariq Bay, standing in Detroit, this woman had drove from Gary, Indiana, which is like five hours to Detroit, just to see him. She's like, please help me. They're going to take my house. I've been in my house 25 years. He said, use the Treaty of Peace and Friendship and stand on it. What? Yes, he said that. (laughs) What did they do with those? I'm yeah. done with this man. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm dead serious. She's about to lose her house. She... Wow. I'm dead serious. <laughs> he got that... to wear a face. My goodness. I'm done with that. That, that made me say, I'm done. I'm done with that. You know? Yeah. Because that was so <laughs> wicked. Now, here's what else happened. Let me put this on the record. Geronimo is the same guy he used to be a Black Panther. Geronimo, he was like, I don't know, in his 50s. And at the time, I was in my late 30s. And Geronimo was dabbling in a little bit of everything, but he was a Panther. He was with Khaled Muhammad, um, the new Black Panther Party, following that and all that, right? So when he saw my DVD and saw Todd, he wanted to get in contact with Taj. And that's when, when we brought Taj to Detroit. Now, Geronimo was so into Taj that he was keeping in contact with Taj, right? So the next time Taj came, he didn't involve me. Like, i the one that hooked him up to get the stuff done. But the next time, which was uh, Taj and Ali Muhammad, he didn't involve me. Cool, whatever. So then that's when Taj got arrested and then ended up showing up and everything. Then the Taj came back a third time. This was around 2007. It was in 2007. So when Taj came back the third time, now Geronimo is linked up directly with Taj. Right? So then Geronimo is going around telling people, oh, Taj is staying over my house. If you want some personal consultation is going to be such and such amount of dollars. You come over to my house and pay me such and such amount of dollars, then you can talk to Taj. Now, I don't know if Taj knew that or not, but I was sitting there like, you have got to be kidding me. You're going to charge people to come up to your house and talk to him? I'm like, oh, my God. So 
from then, they called themselves opening up a lodge. All right? Now, Jeez. what happened was Geronimo had raised the money by going over to the new Marcus Garvey movement slash Black Panther Nation and setting up tables with products that Taz was sending them. And he's selling the stuff, you know. He's supposed to pay Malik, Minister Malik Shabazz, who's the leader of the movement, for setting up the table. He never paid the man. The minister never said anything. Then Geronimo coming around to everybody talking about, oh, the minister talking all that Black Panther stuff. You can't be black. Mm-hmm. So now he's he's converted. Remember you were, the, you were a Black Panther, Geronimo, not too long ago? Now all of a sudden you can't be black and all of this stuff in law. And he's going around talking about the minister like a dog. Mm. Then, next thing you know, they open up a so-called lodge in Detroit in Brightmoor, which is Brightmoor, Detroit, which is the worst neighborhood in Detroit. Wow. But they open lodge, right? So Geronimo asked me to come over to the lodge and teach. I go to the lodge the day he's supposed to have me teach. He tells me to sit down, get in class like everybody else. Excuse me. Then I'm like, I thought that was strange, but then every Sunday I'm going over to to the to the headquarters, and all of a sudden the minister pulls me aside and is like, "Brother Priest Geronimo's going around talking about you like a dog." He's like, "Oh, he thinks he's a Israelite, a Hebrew, whatever." He's like, "He ain't no Israelite. He's a Moor." And I'm like, Geronimo, go back and watch the video, and do I clearly show you the relationship between the Moors and the Israelites? You didn't even know about this stuff, and now I'm hearing about you talking about me? So I'm like, listen, man, don't talk about me. Talk to me. I mean, right. This man like 50-something years old, 56, something like that. So that's what was going on. That being here's the killer. I run across a federal court case filed by Taj Tariq Bay, the so-called lodge that they had, and all the members suing the banks and the mortgage companies for alleged fraud, and they're using aboriginal, no, indigenous rights and treaty, peace, and friendship, and all this stuff to try to win their houses from these mortgages. Now, I this is a federal court case, so I watched the whole case, and I was reading the progress. After about nine months, people that were in the case started pulling out. It was a class action suit. People that mm-hmm. were in the case started pulling out. By the time they get a response, which is a recommendation from the magistrate. The magistrate is is like, this case is totally frivolous and basically (laughs) said this is a joke. You are (laughs) people that have nothing to do 
with what the bank did or did not do. Trudy will keep friendship. I'm telling you. <laughs> they're going to get kicked out the day of tomorrow, and they're going to be throwing around a treaty of, free, treaty of peace and that, friendship. That is the big joke. Anytime anybody does anything, we're going to say treaty of peace and, and friendship. It's <laughs> <laughs> a joke. They wow. argue about the and they do it. So then, guess what? After that time, that lodge didn't stay open a year. He mm. keep on people over there. I met people there. I met people there that were from the Nation of Islam, or formerly of the Nation of Islam, Black Panthers. All of them were going over to that lodge. I had only been there, I think, maybe that one time actually. I think that was the only time I had been there. So I met all these different people there, right? So Geronimo brings a caucasoid up in there and makes this caucasoid a member of that lodge. Oh. You got you got former Nation of Islam people, white man is the devil, and they like, man, I'm not coming back in here. This guy got a goddamn cracker in here. If you got black panthers in there like, man, what just what just happened to this man? He's lost his mind. So Lodge ended up shutting down. Then maybe I say maybe a year later, I saw Geronimo at the at the library, and I had just stopped going around him because I knew he was talking about me, you know, spreading all these lies and stuff, right? But I never treated him bad. But he sees me, he's like, "Shalom, brother." I'm like, "What?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, man, I got to come and get some of those teachings." Oh boy, whatever, man. <laughs> Never meant. So this is what is this is what it's been like for me, and then I'm gonna tell you the best people that I've met when I was in actively in it. The five percenters. When I would talk to the five percenters after getting past that I'm God stuff, those guys would really sit down and listen. Mm-hmm. Swear to God, swear to God, every five percenter that I was dealing with. They all sat down and listened. One moment. I am. Go ahead. Sister Tora has to rest. Take a rest, my dear. While you're resting, I'm going to choke you in your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just... That was so satirical. Oh God. But you know that anyway. Those are the things that these are some of the stories that I have, um, and I got plenty more. Um. You know, being around all these people from Dr. York and all of them used to come to my house because my house in Detroit, I, the the front windows were like um, church windows. And they were like stained glass windows. And Madudi, because Madudi was a, a, a mason. He is a mason um, in the Solomon's Temple Lodge of 
masonry and he was he's with Dr. York and he was um a black panther and all these different things, right? And he was in sovereignty. So he was telling everybody about Brother Priest, right? He would bring they would bring people over to my house, he would specifically for counseling. Mm. From di- all the time. From different walks of life. They, this guy would be a Muslim, this guy would be uh, a Nuwabian, this other guy he would be whatever, Christian or whatever. There was just a school teacher sixty three years old. This guy was caught up in the in the sovereign stuff, hadn't paid his mortgage and all that, and he was about to lose his house. The duty oh, he, he, he quit Doctor this guy quit Doctor York, joined the church, gave the church like ten thousand dollars, started losing his house, he had his pension about to lose his house, and then my duty's like, Brother Priest, you got to help this brother. Okay, I'm going to do whatever I can. So he comes to me with the problem with the house. So I said, listen, man, the only way you're going to save yourself now is you better put it in a Chapter 13 bankruptcy. Because yeah. he thought of this, and his wife didn't know. He, he didn't oh, stop. And, and all that, and his wife didn't know. Oh, Another brother, he was some high-level mason or whatever and some Moorish sovereign, right? He stopped paying the mortgage on his mama's house. He said he sent in a bond to discharge it. And I asked him, where is your uh, notice of discharge? Well, I don't need all of that because I put all that stuff on the public record, and it's been two, three years now. They ain't even came around. I said, brother, it takes them two years to, to foreclose. <laughs> I said, your mama is in that house, man. Oh, you wow. You can't do that. Oh, man, you don't know. I I, I put a, a, a lien on the judge, and I did, you know, do all <laughs> Wow. Brother, you don't know what you're doing. Wow. People, um, they were they were from all these different walks of life, and that's how I got this reputation in the conscious community. And then all of a sudden, I just disappeared. And then mm-hmm. people, they were like, "Man, what happened? Where did this guy go?" You know. But I I pulled myself out of it because the Most High was just guiding me. Like, look, if you can't you can't talk and help a desperate, sick mind like that. They keep yeah. thinking they're right. You know, they think they're doing what's right. And every time you tell them that they're wrong, they don't believe you. Mm-hmm. So you end up making more enemies, and, and sure enough, that's what was happening. I'm standing there telling these people the truth, telling them that this stuff is fraud, and they all telling me, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, you crazy. And I'm like, this one lady, I was like, um, she was locked up, and her sister called me. And I told her, tell your sister to talk to the public defender and get the public defender to speak for her. She was like, what? I'm not going to do that. They're the enemy. They work for the bar. I said, listen, if you don't hear me, 
She's going to stay in prison, stay in jail, excuse me, for a long time. If you listen to what I'm saying, you'll be able to get her released, and you may be able to beat this case. That woman was so angry with me. Come to find out two years later, her sister sat in jail for two years. Wow. (laughs) Wow. This was going on every day, every day in Detroit, every day. I'm getting phone calls. This is before the nation now, and then at the beginning of the nation. I'm getting phone calls. People calling me on the phone. How you do this? Come over here and help me do this. I got famous people calling me, you know, all types of stuff. And I clearly saw that the only real solution is to properly educate them and get them into a body of people. Right. And if you if you don't come in and get this education, you ex- they was expecting me to go all over the country. Oh, you want me to fly to California and fight your foreclosure case? You want me to fly to uh, Georgia and fight your foreclosure case in Florida and all that? I can't do that. I said, it's, at some point, you got to understand, I don't have any security interest in your house. So right. I can't for you like that i can talk i can speak for you there's two ways you can do it you can you can speak as a, a power of attorney if the uh, other party is is like disabled or whatever or you can do what they call next kin which you got to prove some type of blood relationship or whatever and they got to yeah. be unable to stand for themselves okay i'm saying i have to teach you how to do it how to talk for yourself and how to fight it. I cannot fight for you. So I cut off all of that. I stopped helping people do that. I can't do it anymore. It was too much. Yeah, I've been through a lot in this thing, as you all can see. And, you know, people in prison. Then the rumors started going around in Florida that, that the beginning of the nation that tribes was getting people out of prison. And that was totally not true. We never, I mean, there have been people that were, that did get out of prison, but it's not because of so much what we did or what I did. It was more like just straightening their thinking out and just doing simple things. Like with the couple, when I told them, go apologize, do a formal apology to that judge. And they got out the next day, stuff like that. So the rumors started circulating who is this guy in this nation that are doing all this stuff? And that's why predominantly most of the people that are out in the conscious movement that know about us, they really don't say anything and they don't attack us or anything because they know that what we have been doing is the truth. <laughs> they know it. Mm-hmm. And, yes, ma'am. Um, what is that? Um, what is that chapter and verse in Ezekiel where it says that if your brother is doing wrong and you can help him in a way that you're almost like guilty if he if he sins for his sin because you saw it and you did nothing to help him? I do not know exactly where that is. I think it's in Ezekiel. Does anybody else on the line knows what chapter and verse that is? I don't know. Let me see. I, I'm gonna see if I can Google it 
and then not probably can take me where you're talking about. Oh, well, the reason why it came to my mind is because I remember Brother Priest talking about how the Most High came to him in a dream and told him, if you do not start the nation, it's going to be me and you, <laughs> basically. And, and, you know, it's speaking volumes right now, um, especially with everything that you've been through in your life, your education, and your training up until, you know, this point. It's obvious and evident it's time. It's time for this this uh, way of life, this culture, this faith to be established and shine, not shine in an arrogant type of way, but shine in a positive way, um, to, you know, to, to, bring, to bring those that are supposed to be in the fold into the fold. And um, that chapter and verse just kept ringing in my ear as you were talking. Shalom. Um, it is uh, Ezekiel 3 and 18, sister. It's a, a, uh, it says, um, I, when I say unto the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give it him not warning, nor speak it to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. Um, that's right. You got to live it. You got to be it. You know, and to the sister's point, you know what? We need to keep that verse um, because it's going to come up very soon. But, you know, you can't, like, the, the more I kept looking at this, like, all, all these so-called righteous groups and you know, I love my people. I'm like, do y'all even know the definition of love? <laughs> like, you all are completely wicked. Mm. So, imagine, think back to 2005 in your life. And let me tell you what 2005 in my life was like. I'm going around Detroit telling people they're the Moorish Jews. And they think I'm totally crazy. They think I'm out of my mind. Um, So then I met Renoko Rashidi, um, famous, uh, you know, historian. Love him to death. I met him once because he came to Detroit. Um, And while he was there, there was a professor from Wayne State University of African-American Studies. And these people for two years have been challenging me on because they think I'm crazy, right? Um, thinking I'm the Morris Jew, <laughs> right? They put me up in front of this whole. This was at this place called the Quaba Center. Put me up in front and had me speak on this, and then they sick sick the the professor after me while Renoko Rashidi is there now. That man came up to me, came up in front of them, and said, everything that this brother is talking about is true. (laughs) Now, they were mad as hell. Hmm. But 
eventually, you know, because um, they were in a state of mind that I had just invented this, that I made this stuff up. Then I met Steve Coakley. Same thing. Like he had, had he knew Hebrews, Hebrew Israelites from Chicago. He knew Nation of Islam. Well, he had never heard this. Then once he heard it, he started talking about it. Then fast forward. Tyre Tariq Bay started calling us the Moors Jews. Ali Muhammad started calling us the Moors Jews. And then all these people started saying it. And they got it from when I put out the information about <coughs> the the that Drew Ali's family was a part of the Moorish Zionist temple. <coughs> and that that's where he learned he was a Moor. And when I put that out, all of them jumped on it. Never mentioned Brother Priest's name. Never mentioned me once. Never cited their source. <coughs> I And I'm telling you, I'm in contact with those guys. I'm teaching the same thing from 05, 06, 07, 08 to 010, 011 and all of that. And all of them know me. <laughs> they all know me. And so they know they didn't hear that from nobody else. And they would, to this day, they don't even acknowledge. And I'm sure a lot of them probably forgot that I exist as far as who my, my name is and all of that, because I don't go out in the public and do all that. But I'm telling you, none of them were talking that before they met me. And they all started. It started in Detroit when I came out preaching it. And everybody was saying I was crazy and I was trying to mix and make up a new religion. That's what happened. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> anyway, I've been talking so much. I, I, <coughs> I'm starting to cough. <coughs> I'm going to turn this over to Shedrick. Yes, sir, brother. Thank you. Yes, sir. Um, you know, oh, well, first and foremost, let me just, uh, I'll open up the floor uh, for any comments or um, anything like that. Anybody have any comments? Brother, if I may, because it just went dead silent. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, this is Sister Anisha, and we just got to start really being good to each other. Yeah. Um, Because, like, we treat each other so poorly because, I mean, I guess because we were socially conditioned to think that we're supposed to get the worst out of living, that it's to the point where even our own brothers and sisters try to seek to take advantage of one another just to get ahead in that, you know, crabs in the barrel type of mentality. Um, and it's getting us nowhere fast. And with the new president, even though he hasn't been sworn in yet, and we'll see if the electoral college, you know, still gives him his support on come December 19th, but 
like with this new president coming aboard, all he's talking about is nationalism and being a nationalist and making America great and keeping businesses here and not shipping them abroad and overseas. But when we really think about it and we look about, look at, you know, their his particular concept of making America great or his particular concept of nationalism, it does not include the so-called American Negro as far as he can use them and utilize them. You know, he's talking about his lineage, his progenitors, his children that are going to inherit his legacy. That does not include the American Negro. So especially within this nation, we really have to gel together and really support each other um, and and stop dividing our efforts. Um, right. The one thing that I was thinking about is like I, you know, when we start talking about so, social media and stuff like that, social media is a marketing beast. And if our efforts weren't so scattered, if we actually honed it and brought it under one roof, um, we could be a lot more productive. And what I mean by honing it and bringing it under one roof, um, like, for instance, uh, I saw that there were two tribal Aboriginal nations public groups. And one of them had like 800 and something mem- uh, members in the group, and another one had about 300. And I'm saying to myself, well, combined, that's like almost 1,200. You know how many more people we can reach if we were actually combined and we were, you know, banging them with the truth and things to look at um, if we all were under one umbrella, and how can we get it to where we could just be all one under one umbrella? Now, one thing that makes sense is to take the group that is got 300 and merge it with the group that has eight something, and that way everybody will be under one roof. But, you know, that's just one thought that I'm thinking about. The other thought that I was thinking about, I was urged to start um, – I was urged to start the freelance page, Um, but I don't know if this makes sense, and maybe Brother Priest can tell me if this makes sense, but I know that we have the Soul Science page as well. Like, is there any way to bring the freelance page under the Soul Science page and still allow me to be able to post under freelance, but have it, like, all under one umbrella? Is that, like, possible? And then that way we all can, like, share from the one source and maybe get more of a crowd to the one source. Um, That was just a thought that was coming in my head. Like, another thing that was coming to mind is an old-school quote that came from a movie called Juice. And the quote is that there's no one man above the crew. Like, if we could, like, really abide by that mentality, like, skies is really the limit for us. 
There's so much opportunity for God's sake. There are private islands for sale right now. I I was talking to my suitor, and he has a couple of friends. I was talking to him like, yo, Dave, do you know anybody that knows about communication towers and how we can get our own communication towers and possibly Per, you know, we purchase land, we can purchase, you know, subservice rights and air rights to these lands and have our own communication towers so we cannot be shut down because to shut down our communication tower would be breaching law contracts and going against natural law and then the most high will step in on our behalf. Like, there is literally no limit to what we can accomplish if we come together. No one man is above the crew. And with that, I yield. Hmm. I don't know if that was a question, but I can tell you this, though. One, everything you said, I agree with, but you have to put it in timing and in perspective. We have people that don't even know how to treat each other. I'm talking about people in this nation. It's not a lot, but it's enough. Maybe a handful. And don't know how to treat each other. Actually, I think a couple of them actually quit. I think they quit a couple of weeks ago. But here's the thing. That's the first thing. Second, operating order in an orderly fashion. That's what anything. Like with radio, we just got to the point where we got some help in and we got a system going. So systems and operations like operating like an assembly line is important. And the reason why it takes time for that is because laziness, excuse-making, slothfulness, you know, arrogance, all of these spiritual problems that have to be purged because here's the thing. You get you get somebody in place and they seem like they're, you know, on board and they're down for the nation and they're putting something together or whatever that we're working on and they flake the hell out. Now they quit or whatever the, whatever it is, and now they drop the ball, and then somebody has to pick it up, which is usually Brother Priest, and that makes other things delayed. Mm-hmm. So it's like you don't put us out on Front Street. Like this has happened a, a, a couple of different times to where it's made me like, gun shy to even try to ask people to take positions to do certain things because flat out they drop the ball. They keep dropping the ball. It it, it could be something that you don't even think about that that is serious, but it'll happen. I know I can't take on any more work, but I know if there's nobody else to take it on, if this one individual is overseeing something and they drop it, then now I got to pick it up 
and it's going to have to sit aside so other things get handled. That's where our problem is. We, Shedrick, what was this old, what was this, 13, 2013, I think it was, Shedrick found an island, and um, Mr. Commerce went to the island. We about to purchase it. He flew over there in a in one of those tiny uh, planes and actually went to the island and negotiated it for us. And things happened where we couldn't close the deal. So we've already been putting these things in the works, but it's like it, it takes the foundation being tight. Bringing more people in and stuff like that, that's not good either. Because until we get this foundation where, where we're able to operate somewhere close to flawlessly, it, it's going to make it worse if we get more people. Now, I can tell you this last six months, it's been troublesome. It has. But it's been progress. We got real estate group in place where they can focus on real estate consistently. We got deals. We had some deals that fell through, but we got leads coming in regularly. That's finally clicking. The radio is finally starting to click like how it needs to be. These things are finally there. We just got a couple of more tweaks to make, and we'll be ready. Now, my thought is hopefully over this break, we'll be able to bring all this stuff forward. Um, I was hoping there would be a number of people here tonight so we could talk about it, but I, there just hasn't been. So what I mean is businesses all ready to go. The training needed to operate these businesses all ready to go. We just got to get the people's minds more towards unity. And, and oneness, and we, we, we're almost there. A couple of these troublemakers are gone. And if I can have any say-so in it, I would wish that they don't come back. I mean, of course, if they atone, then that's your brother, your sister, then you allow them back. But the way that these people are and how ungrateful and wicked their hearts are, you know, I don't see them changing. I'm not the most high, but, you know, so that's where we stand. Once we do that, once we lock these things in order where we got more people operating like they like how they need to be and dealing with conflict and all these things, everything else will smooth itself out. So my anticipation is probably around – April or May of the next coming year, we should have this thing um, there. So that's my hope, and that's what I I can see it right where it's at. I hope that it clicks by then all the way, and we should be good. We should be good. But you know what? We just got to take our time and be patient because no matter what happens, the one thing I know, is we are divinely protected. We're protected from the madness of these people's minds out there because you come here, you got to start straightening your mind out. 
You got to start straightening your thoughts out and start getting a reality check. If you get lost out there in that world, you, you get into all this madness. So if nothing else will protect us, our true love, unity, and soundness of mind, that is a gift from the most high. It's going to take care of us. I'm going to have to exit. But I'm my phone will still be here, but I got to exit. I got to go take care of the sister. So um, everybody take care. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom, Mark, um, Minister Priest. Um, but I hope what the brother was saying makes sense. And one other thing that uh priest used to tell us when um when I first got in the nation, I mean he would say here and there and he even said he, he even alluded to it tonight as he started speaking. You know, when you are I realize it now that whenever you're growing a nation you kind of don't want it to grow too fast because it's almost kind of like it's almost kind of like when you're raising a child and you don't want him to grow up too fast without him understanding the proper without him understanding the guidelines or the principles of life and him learning the right way and then some people say well what is the right way well i mean if we actually stuck to the good book you know you know, like we should have, we would have understood that it was the right way. Because we can look at the well, we can look at the Romans and see how they've been able to progress within the last uh, many centuries, and how they've been able to set up kingdoms based off of what they've been able to, you know, uh, understand about our heritage. Now I'm relating that to government. The nationhood, and I'm looking at, you know, you wanting a nation to grow so fast without the people coming in to uh, purge themselves of, you know, bad habits. Um, that's the, one of the things that we definitely have to work on here now is bad habits, egoisms, individualisms. And um, self-righteousness, when I mean self-righteousness, I mean uh, putting, yourself in a, putting yourself in a position of, you know, acting outside of natural law or divine law or international law or above the law, basically. Self-righteousness is basically putting yourself above the law, of which no one is. So when we try to bring ourselves back in conformity, you know, then we can understand uh, why government should be practiced um, and the things and the tools that we need to make it more fluent. Now, I agree with Auntie Anisha. If we, and I understood exactly what you were saying when you were saying that we, you know, you have an entity that has 800 and uh, merge that with some entity that has 300, you know, and can, you know, you know, create, I think, you know, there's definitely power in numbers, but I think there's also power in a stable mind <laughs> as well. Because <laughs> if you have a stable mind, if you have three stable minds versus uh, 1,200 
corrupt people, well, I mean, people who are stable in the mind, who understand how to politic, can get just as well as those 1,200 people to do what they want them to do. It's all about how you contract, and it's all about how you approach those people. Now, I'm not saying if you're dealing with, you know, savages that they won't try to overtake you because that's a reality too. But as I said, when you're stable-minded and you know how to contract, little old Israel, who would have thought little old Israel, a nation not desired at several different points in world history, would subdue many nations. Nations that were considered bigger than, you know, bigger than Israel itself, and you know, had be, you know, had gotten a name for itself, even to the point to where, you know, the history has been tainted, you know, to protect the people who are using, you know, using the information, but they still give cred, you know, credibility to the Israelites, but. I say all that to say this. We got to have stable-minded people. And I brought this up one time before when I was uh, in African, Pan-Africanism. Uh, this Pan-Africanism, of course, I just, you know, left out of when we were talking about the formation of Liberia and how it was made up of freed men who wanted to build a country of their own, of which they did, and they named it Liberia. And the capital was named Monrovia after uh, James Monroe, who was part of what they called the uh, American Colonization Society, which is made up of uh, slaveholders, by the way. Um, We got to start small, you know, and eventually we will grow. But I think the whole purpose is to attract like mine and everything else will follow after. I think once the people get tired of, you know, not having remedy and not being able to protect themselves, they're going to want to, they're going to have the desire to want to do for self. And when they are ready, we'll be here. But in order to assist them, we have to be ready. You understand? Yes, we have to be ready. Um, you know, one thing I'm learning is, you know, we don't want to get in the habit of trying to, we don't want to have a savior complex, and we aren't short on how to save ourselves. You know, because <laughs> it's going to look very, uh, it's going to look very uh, hypocritical in the eyes of the people that's outside of you. Only thing I'm saying is. We can do it, and it is achievable. It may not be in this lifetime, but it can be. It can be, and it will happen because it's divinely orchestrated, and it is so. And it is divinely ordered. You know, I think that what we're waiting on to happen, so to speak, is for the people' uh, hunger to direct itself to more so towards wanting to be lawfully prepared, uh, divinely prepared, wanting to give themselves over to the law itself, devote themselves more to the law. I'm not saying making it to God. I'm saying preparing themselves to understand it, write it in their hearts, 
practice it, live it, breathe it, because that is going to make all the difference between, you know, the people who live, breathe, and practice it versus the people who are ignorant to it and will make every every excuse to not, you know, want to live according to it. Um, Right now, you guys in what they call the matrix will be considered an anomaly. Right. Anisha, you are that anomaly. Og Eric, you are that anomaly. Brother Alex, you are that anomaly. You guys are that yeah. anomaly in the matrix because you guys are now stuck outside of the box and have now given yourselves over to a the real real constitution of nature. You've done that now. Now you have to stick with it so that you can grow in it. And so when other people are ready to unplug, quote, unquote, you guys will be prepared, children of Zion. Yeah, you just took me to that last uh, um, where, where they went to the architect of the matrix. Yes. And he was saying to Neo, he was like, you're an, a, an anomaly. So you're an anomaly. There has been six of your prototypes. Yeah. We have, even though we've been successfully able to, you know, um, take over your predecessors, you are you are an anomaly. Yeah. And this is it. It's a rat. And, and it takes it back to Revelations where they talk about the 144. These 144 are the people that will be establishing the government. That but mean did you also it. pay attention to the 24 elders? <laughs> the 24 elders in 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 in, in the matrix. No, the 24 elders about? as in Revelations. Oh, yeah, Talk to me. 24 mm-hmm. elders. Yes, there's 24 elders. I don't know if anybody ever paid attention to that. I'm not saying that the 144 isn't uh, relevant to that because they pay a, a, the. The 24 elders and the 144 go hand in hand. Once you guys start to think about that, I'll give you a perfect example. Once you start, once you guys figure out the, once you guys can figure out the judicial system, then Revelation is definitely going to start to make sense to you. It, everything, once you take everything that priest has taught you, this is why he, let me tell you something, this is why priests won't go Scripture from scripture from scripture from scripture. He's not going to do that because what he's teaching you, when you get ready to plug it back in, it's going to freak you out when you finally read what you're reading and you won't be able to come back from it because it happened to me. And I can tell you that those guys out there on that street, (laughs) they don't know half what you guys are going to know. And you guys will, you are those people who will be sitting in that cabinet. You guys will be those elders. You guys have got to believe priest when he tells you this stuff. It's all a matter of state of mind. Where is your state of mind? Where are you in it? And how do you see the world around you? And once you understand it, it will literally, you, you'll begin to, everything around you will begin to change. It's, 
it's almost kind of like what they call uh, laws of attraction. I didn't believe it was real, but it really is real. It's, it's, I guess it's the way that it works. And it seems like everything that you do, when you do it according to the law, it attracts like things. So you start pulling in all of that energy towards you. It'll come. Tribes will pull in that like energy. It'll create the assembly that it needs to create. But the people have to be ready to purge. They have to be. They have to be spiritually ready to purge itself. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, I'm saying yes, sir. I get what you're saying. Um, I get it. I, it's clicking. It's clicking. <laughs> I'm telling you, like this is a for me. It's a it's a shock. You know, some people say they get a culture shock. Well, this is a reality shock. Um, and I guess for me, like. Priest, for some reason, he's still like um, in awe when I told him I was in, I graduated political science, and it was just kind of like, yeah, I told you this years ago. But that, like I told him, it was a buffer course. Political science was a buffer course for what I was doing in the nation. They go hand in hand. They, yes, you know, help me to, um, you know, get a peek inside of, uh the universal matrix. America is just one kind of, United States is just one kind of matrix. You, know. you also did sociology as well, right? I, just, I, 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 I didn't get in the social work program. I actually changed my major before I got into social work. The social work was, uh, it was uh, what you come in when you declare a major. That's what I wanted to declare. But I never got to it because the way that my classes were set up before I got to it, it I would have had to wait a whole year to even get in the program. So I got, wow. I, yeah, I got, I got like really, really frustrated, and I was just like, "What do I do?" And then once I got in like second degree, going to third, I went on like this, like it was almost kind of like I was in this trance and. Everything was geared towards political science, and everything I was learning in the nation was geared towards law. So then once I got to my junior year, I just knew political science is where I wanted to go. I could have went, went to criminal justice, but I think criminal justice in itself is actually limited because it, it gives you – it teaches you about the court system, so to speak, but then there's more than the court system that runs the government. So political science, you deal with all different avenues. You're dealing with Congress. You're dealing with the court systems. You're dealing with the law. And you're dealing with, you know, everything that affects the law. And for me, that was, you know, it sustained me. But aside from all that, man, like now when I, when I read those scriptures, it's more than just a book. And it's more than just folklore. It is literally like... It is the it is a vigilante's guide to revolution. Ooh. <laughs> I love it. It is a vigilante's guide to a revolution. When I literally say that what Freezes pretty much did was like he simplified it. Like he made it to where a baby could understand. 
But when you read in the book, you you I I really believe that it is made for a sharp eye, and that's why mm-hmm. everybody cannot get it, and that's why I believe that you guys are an anomaly. At least the ones that really do try to to stick it out, because I'm gonna be honest with you, it ain't. It's really not easy. But I think once it start to click and you start going and going and going, then you just you just never come back from it. You just keep going, and then you go until you you know until like sometimes you find yourself not even sleeping that night because you're mm-hmm. always finding something new that you didn't think about the first day. You have all these questions, and then you just you're just constantly asking questions, and you just want to know. And it, yeah, this walk is real interesting. I just remember one time I just didn't even like to read. Now I just, I just don't even know, man. I just, I just don't know what I would do without my book. That's all I'm saying. And on that note, um, I can open up the floor if anybody has like anything that they want to share. At all, it could be anything. Their experience thus far. Um, has anybody? Well, I know Chris asked the question earlier. I think he asked Arc Eric. Has anybody ever came into, you know, ran into any sovereign, uh, sovereign mess? Has anybody ever ran into that? Man, y'all yeah. unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, I have, I have. You have? You have, yeah. Can you share that? Because I, I guess I mean just to hear up and close, uh, up and close person, uh, up and personal, a uh, quote. Well, you understand what I'm saying? It just I, you know, I just I'm just interested in that. What was that like? <laughs> well, I mean, I never really fell for it because it just seemed like a hustle to me. You know, like the most exposure, the exposure I had from it was that guy, Ms. Ryan, Ms. something. And that's the guy that uh, actually uh, Brother Priest spoke to on Talk Show about that was attacking the nation. Remember, we were going back and forth with him on Facebook. And I was like, yo, I don't even, you know, what are you doing? Oh, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, what are you doing? Like, are you... That was my my first experience with the radicalness uh, of it. And then I had my friend, um, Noble Karube, who um, was a sheik for the Morris Science Temple. And... um, even when he was talking to me about, you know, Moorish American as your nationality and, you know, the Circle 7, which is basically Torah, I'm saying to myself, but then their practices and their teachings was both basically Egyptology and astrology. I'm like, this just doesn't mesh well with me. Something in my spirit was just like... um it just does not mesh well with my spirit and what you're saying seems to be anti-respect for authority and anti-respect for actual law. It just, But I didn't understand why I was feeling this. 
I didn't get why I was feeling this. It just didn't sit right in my soul. And then Brother Manitazak or Brother Andrews or Brother or Brother Hootie sent me that first Tribal Aboriginal podcast come out of For My People, and I was like, holy smokes. I get it. This is why the Founding Fathers were so fixated on the scriptures and founding a country or a corporate incorporated country um, with the principles from this book, Holy Smokes, King James was a York Moor? He was a Moorish Jew? Holy smokes! And then they just started unraveling and unraveling and unraveling and unraveling. And when you really see how deep the rabbit hole goes, I guess for some it could actually drive them insane. But for me, it provided solidarity and a foundation instead of all this mythological, idolatrous Greek mythology that is pushed via mainstream media and religion. You know, people are still waiting for that hand in the sky. And then when you see all of these things that this government is building around that mythological, that Greek mythology and Egyptian mythology to basically bring the lie to the public and have them deceived where they have this. I just posted this um, video of uh, Project Bluebeam where they actually did a test run with Project Blue. You know, they did the test run with Tupac performing live, I think at some concert, Grammys or something like that, where they had the hologram of him performing live there. Mm. But then they also did, they also did a test run with students in a gymnasium where they did the hologram, the blue beam hologram. Um, and I posted this on face on, on the freelance page of a whale, a sperm whale. Um, like he was swimming in the auditorium and it looked mm-hmm. real. Like water was on the gymnasium floor and the sperm whale was coming out of the floor and the floor looked like water and then he splashes back down. Like, whoa. And these people, like they can show you Jesus coming on a cloud on a, in a horse with a tattoo on his thigh and you would swear the Savior came. Well, they did that with Santa Maria too. And uh, I think it was in <laughs> Brazil. You can see the, uh, yeah, they, they literally did this. It was the craziest thing because I was sitting here like, and you can see, you can just hear the people in the background, oh, my goodness, oh, my God. And I was sitting here like, <laughs> wow, you guys don't even know the half of it. And I was just like, that has got to be one of the most evil, coolest things you can do to a person who already mm-hmm. is, you know, whose mind is already being, uh, um, you know, I guess you can say subjugated by uh, sorcery. 
Uh, when I mean, yeah. of course, you're talking about religious rhetoric and all this other different. That's sorcery. You know what I mean? That's a spell. But then when you go and you give them the visual to try to even further that, that is torture to a person's soul. And when I saw it, I was just like, you know, when I say the judgment has only gotten bigger for this beast, I say this in probably the smoothest way I could possibly say. I don't think any, I think, you know, it could probably be said even more smoother. You know, you bang the gavel, you're guilty. But I'm serious, man. This, they just racking up judgment for themselves. And, you know, like I say, I, I think, you know, at this particular time, we can play it cool. I mean, because we already know, you know, we know what they're doing. And um, we know that their time is pretty short. Like, you know, they have a, you know, timely end. That, that This is why they have their season. I think now, you know, hopefully the ones who know better, they um they they will rectify themselves amongst the people and try to take that you know knowledge that they learn from this beast and try to utilize it for the good. But I think it's still you know I don't know if the damage has already been done. You know, as a matter of fact, while I speak on that, there's a group I cannot remember exactly what the name of this group is, uh, but they uh, are a group of people who used to work for the CIA. Uh, I think the government, but mostly the CIA, and they either retired or they were removed from the CIA, and um, these people removed themselves from society, so to, so to speak, um, because of what they know about the government. And they all had various jobs in the CIA, and um, what they did was they formulated a group of which every year they come together and they pretty much uh, give honors to the people who quit the CIA and try to bring awareness about what the government is doing. Uh, they give them honorary awards and all these other different things. And, you know, they just try. I mean, and, like, these people tell, whew, the stories they tell are just really chilling. I, I, if I come across this video one day, I'm going to um, – I'm gonna make sure I post. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to make sure I post it in the nation because the stuff that they tell you about is just kind of like, wow, you know, dang, like the government had they handed all kinds of stuff, you know. But at the end of the day, man, we have these brothers who are calling themselves that they're painting themselves as Hebrew Israelites and Muslims, and, you know, conscious, you know, conscious Calvary and all this other different stuff, and they're ripping people off. It's like, you know, where the drugs weren't, it's almost kind of like the drugs, see, they give you an impression of what evil looks like after you've consumed it. But see, now, when, you, when you're dealing with this type of drug, this stuff, like, it really can ruin you. And, and the visuals is way worse because you start to see all of the stuff go on around, you know, you know uh, fall around them. The people go mad, they lose their house, they end up in prison, they end up in jail, they lose their rights, they lose their civil rights, they may lose their children. You know, I mean, it's all, it's way worse than drugs. Yes, you know, sir. man, 
It's like one thing. It's like one thing to know that the people are mentally ill because they're suffering from an idolatrous mind state. It's another thing to go ahead and implement strategies and systems to perpetuate the idolatrous mindset and mental illness to keep them in slavery. You know? So it's like, it's like, okay, I had a brother on my page that I went to school with, right? He was saying that, you know, you know, it's wrong to say that one religion is right over the other religion. So, like, you know, I have so many, he's saying, I have so many different friends from different religious backgrounds. So instead of saying Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, I just say Happy Holidays because it's wrong to say that any one religion is greater than someone else's religion. And, you know, I didn't say anything on his thread, but what I'm saying, thinking in my head is like, okay, but what you're missing here, this is really important, but what you're missing here is that there is no really, okay, religion people create, right? But really what you're looking at is forces of good and evil. That's what you're really looking at. And when you look at what religious methodologies or ideologies that individuals form in their psyche, you're looking at idolatry and anti-natural law that individuals are creating and perpetuating to cope with their reality. It's anti-what is. You look at homosexuality. That's anti-what is. That's a form of religion, a form of idolatry. Idolatrizing, if that is a word, sexuality, perverted, abnormal sexuality, human sexuality, opposite of what natural law is. That's a sin. When you look at um, even misogyny or feminism, that is idolatry. Mm -hmm. That is an abnormal view of natural law to say that one sex is over or better than the other, when we know we need both to procreate and move forward naturally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you look at Judaism, is a religion. It's a form of the Hebrew faith, but it's, you know, they're doing a lot of stuff in Judaism that is not congruent, that does not run congruent with the Hebrew faith. So although the Zionists were our students, they're doing a lot of stuff outside of what was taught to them, just like we did, which is the reason why soon they are to fall from grace. Their time is up. 2154, 2,154 years in the eons, or an age, is that correct? So this age, their age, 
their time is passing. Hmm. And when you look when you look at Ishmael and you look at what Islam has done or the Muslims have done to the Muslim faith that Abraham passed down to Ishmael, it's a travesty. That hmm. is not what your father taught you. Egyptology, when you look at Osiris Set and um who is the guy with the eye? Osiris Set and the heart. Um, is it Horus? Horus. Okay. I when just guess that the, I don't know, but, you know. When you look at the two brothers, like I was watching the movie God, Gods of Egypt the other day, and when Osiris and Set, when you look at them, that's like Cain and Abel. When you look at the storyline dialogue, in that particular movie, and if that one con- runs congruent with the Egyptology God story of Set and, you know, Osiris, and then their son Horus, uh, the, the favorite son of a favorite son, is what Set called Osiris after he killed, you know, um, his father. That was congruent with the Cain and Abel story. So what Ham did or Ms. Rayam did with what Noah taught them was actually opposite. So when you look at these religions, the Scientology and the Egyptology and the Islam and the Judaism and the even Buddhism and Taoism and Hintoism and Shintoism and all those other isms, Catholicism, they're actually to the left of the law. So there's just, that's a disguise. That's a a uh, 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 mirage, kind of like a Project Blue, Blue Beam of reality. There is no whatever religion is right and what even Rastafari, Rastafari and Hail Selassie and I didn't know we were supposed to be worshiping men. <laughs> Right. I didn't know you were supposed to hail What do you mean? He's a man. Jesus right. even told Yeshua, Yahoshua, even told you, don't worship him. And exactly. he died for our transgressions. So now you're going to worship Hail Selassie? All of that religion is a project blue bean. There's only good and evil. Choose one. Isn't that what Buju said? Good and mm-hmm. evil. Choose one. Hmm. The, the scripture says that the path to righteousness is straight and narrow, and there's many people that fall to the wayside because they just can't stay on the straight and narrow. It's right in front of you. It's so simple but so complex. So simple but so complex. And I'm wondering what, you know, Brother Eric and Brother Alex think of, this, of what we're talking about, and I yield. Hmm. 
Y'all brothers, what do y'all think? Because she said some really powerful stuff just a few minutes ago. And then I'm going to tell you what I think afterwards. Go ahead, brothers. Oh, Shalom, go ahead, brother. I, I, I don't know if you want to say anything or... Yeah, I was just, uh, well, you know, it was a lot being said, so, and, and we just need to, if we was, I could say, if we had this information at a young age, you know, you know, where, where would we be, you know? But unfortunately, we got it at a at an age where we can uh, make a great conscious decision because we know right from wrong. And, you know, moving on with this nation and around people who I've never been around that type of movement, so that's why I was, you know, quiet on that end. So I, I, don't, I don't know how, what game they be playing or none of that. So I knock on wood sometimes or how came into the nation. And uh I'm still dealing with the cold too, so that's really all it. She was right on point, you know. And we just need to uh, come together and start doing more and standing up. And that'll all come with what Brother Priest was saying, we have to start living uh living what we're supposed to be. And if we're supposed to be right, then we just start living right. And live a right to fly. Yes, sir. All right, Alex, do you have anything that you want to say, brother? Shalom, brother. I was cutting here. I'm sorry. I was listening also. But I could really, can you, uh, can she, uh, I didn't really hear what she was really saying. I mean, I heard a little bit, bits and, bits and pieces, but I didn't really hear it like that. Sorry. It's okay. Um, let me well, let me say it this way. Cause I heard, I was listening to what she was saying, and you know, anytime I look at a lot of these, um, these uh, what they call religious organizations, so to speak, I uh, I look at different classes of. Um, uh, mental illnesses. I look at what they call uh, different classes of uh, retardation. I don't say that to be funny, but if I was to, if I was a doctor in the time of Abraham and we, we were dealing with uh, how we would understand idolatry, would deal with it in the form of what they call a day mania. Um, now, I'm looking at it like, you know, okay, you have Christianity, you have Taoism, you have Buddhism, you got Judaism, you have, um, you have uh, uh, the Mohammedan religion, uh, you have Islam, Al-Islam, you got uh Bruhe, the the Bru the Bru, yeah, Bruhe or something like that, I can't remember what this is called. 
you had the Candule, you had the uh, Santeria, you have Hoodoo, yeah. Voodoo. You have all these different types of religions and then some. <laughs> yes, sir. And um, all these are different forms of mental illnesses. I literally think that that is what idolatry is. It's a, another way of classifying mental illnesses. So this is why when, you know, they say freedom of consciousness <laughs> or freedom of conscience, <laughs> they are telling you right then there that this is exactly, see, they have the, you have the freedom of state of mind, so to speak. So when you equate religion with state of mind, this is going to determine where you are in the the, the reasoning scale. And then once they put you in these different types of religious organizations, then they started to categorize. They, then this is how they can, you know, this makes easy their job of classifying you in their system. And it makes them, you know, it makes it easier for them to, you know, tag you in their system and treat you accordingly. Okay? Now, I'm looking at all these different religions and I realize that every religion has a quote-unquote articles of organization, which kind of, well, articles of organization pretty much tell you how the quote-unquote organization is to be ran, what the organization does, such, so on and so forth. It describes the faculty, members, and uh, so on and so forth. But in all actuality, you're describing the mindset of a person. And then what this literally does is it tells them whether you're sane or insane. <laughs> and that's how that it is. And you get lumped underneath one of these uh, these religions, you have now fallen into some type of mania. Literally, because I'm going to tell you something. Anytime you deal with someone that is a religion and then those persons, you know, uh, start to deal with another person who's of another religion and they can't agree eye to eye, they immediately go into uh, hostile that, mode. No. They go into, you, say, you understand what I'm saying? They go into attack mode. They go into defensive mode because then there's the what they call uh, um What's that thing called? When uh, you get taught one thing, but then when something new comes along. Cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. There it goes, sister. Cognitive dissonance. And, um, you know, there's a case of cognitive dissonance, and then all of a sudden there's all-out attack. And then, mind you, all this is is this is the nature of the organization being projected through the person. It literally is a manual. I got an example for you, Brother Cedric. Yeah. I had a yes, cleaning client. I had a cleaning client, right? Mm-hmm. And her her nanny was Guyanese. My clean, cleaning client was Bangladeshi, right? Mm-hmm. So 
the Guyanese nanny was showing me a tattoo of the symbol that she got. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, what is your religion? I said, well, I don't have a religion. I am Hebrew. And she said, well, isn't that a religion? I said, no. Hebrew is not a religion. It's a form of government. What people do is tell you religion from it, right? So Mm -hmm. she goes, well, you know, I'm Hindi. And she shows me the symbol tattoo that she got tattooed on her arm. And she, she says to me, this is known. This is our God, basically. Oh. But known, like that, uh, that um, is basically the, the, the tone or the vibratory song that created everything. So you can see, so you can see the, so the Hebrew historical context even in their religion. Do you, you right. see what I'm But when she had the symbol on her arm, I started thinking about Prince. Remember how Prince became the symbol? Oh. He wasn't Prince no more. <laughs> right? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> That's and interesting. And I'm saying to myself, idolatry, wow. straight idolatry. Mm. Can I get? Wow, they got the slice. It's so quick. I'll take that slice. I'll take that slice. So I'm sorry. Oh, and that's another one. Yeah, I'll take that slice to go. And with that, I yield. I'm gonna go on mute so I don't disrupt y'all. No problem. Um, that is just interesting. Um, and so. Like when the sisters just say, you know, that is idolatry, and then I'm looking at it, and then I'm trying to rationalize it as if, like, you, you know, when you, like, if you were a doctor trying to diagnose somebody, and you would basically the woman tagged herself. She she tagged herself and kind of just to let you know what kind of um, what kind of uh, I guess you can say mental illness she was suffering from. Now, a lot of people, if you wanted to say Hebrew was a religion first, and then say, well, wouldn't Hebrew be a religion? Uh, Hebrew be a mental illness as well? Well, uh, I beg to differ. Because when you look at what the Hebrew uh, walk of life is, it's just reflective of nature itself. See, the thing about it is plants don't put tattoos on themselves to distinct, you know, the fact that they serve nature because na- because plants already divinely do what nature does. I mean, they don't do anything but what nature, you know, has instilled them to do because it's built into in in the nature of what it's supposed to do, grow and die or do whatever it's supposed to do as a plant. Trees do the same thing. Animals do the same thing. They all, they don't tattoo themselves. You know, they don't wear fringes and all this other different stuff to, you know, to serve or this, that, and other. And I'm not saying that fringes are a form of idolatry. It can be a form of idolatry. It's in, all, in the way that it is being used. 
but it is not idolatrous. I don't want anybody to get that idea. Uh, but even at the end of the day, when you look at uh, the things that people do in terms of what you call rituals and stuff like that, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of these people, like, okay, like we learned in African spirituality, we learned about voodoo and hoodoo, and a lot of the stuff that they did, I understood what they were doing. I understood what they were doing because I was seeing what they were doing, and I and I was looking at it like, hmm, there was one part we were watching the ceremony where they were all inside this, like, I don't know, they were inside this tent. It was a group of people. And what happened was I think they were, like, channeling spirits. But in order to really, you know, get the spirit to come through you, so to speak, you had to sniff this powder. <laughs> you had to sniff this powder. And what it did was after a while it put people in a hallucinative, a, a hallucin, a, a, it put them in a state of hallucination. A hallucinogenic. Yes, an hallucinogenic state. And uh, these people started to, like, not spaz out, but they went into, like, deep sweat. They were, like, in convulsions. Some people were just, like, um, they were literally out of it. So one, the teacher was explaining it, but then the girl said, well, I wonder if the uh, stuff that they were snorting, had anything to do with what we saw, you know, because they're telling you this. Okay, like another example was they they were called in the circle. It was a, it was a village of people. They were called in the circle with two females. They were channeling this spirit, this, this woman spirit. I can't remember exactly what the, or this female spirit, so to speak. And they were describing the nature of the spirit. She was flirtatious and she obviously was one of those spirits that didn't, uh, I guess you can say bisexual, so to speak, because she would flirt with both different, she would flirt with both living types of souls, both male and female. And um, a lot of the spirits, I realized that they would get drunk. But here's the thing. A lot of the people in, who were channeling these spirits believed that in order for the spirits to come through you, you had to drink certain alcoholic beverages. And there were certain alcoholic beverages that, that the spirits like in order for you, to, uh, for you to channel them. And in order for you to channel them, you had to drink those. If you didn't, then they wouldn't, you know, come. But when they come, they would make you do all kinds of stuff. Like we saw this point guy, he ate glass. He literally ate the glass. Then it got to a point where he, you know, he he was just like, he was just acting a fool. Let me just say that. He didn't hurt anybody, but he was acting a fool. But then there was a part where he just sat down, and then after like maybe a couple of minutes, he snapped back, I guess, out. He snapped out of whatever he, this trance that he was in, and he was looking around like, oh, my God, like, how did I get over where I am? Like, because he didn't even know where he was. But mind you, while he, you know, I guess you can say was possessed with this, you know, spirit, which I do believe that spirits are real. I believe that they're real in the sense that they are energies, um, but energies, you know, 
I don't understand it. So I guess that's a case of I guess that's a you know broad study of quantum physics that I have to you know start studying. But that's a, something down the road along the roads I have to deal with later. I'm still trying to understand the physical. I ain't got time to be looking for the you know spiritual. But all I'm saying is you got a lot of people who are getting into these quote unquote religions so-called Negroes, just to be, you know, be have the, are the example, they will get inside these religions and not understand anything about it, but it's cool to them. It's all about the words that are being said, you know, in the religion, but then they're not understanding what the religion is. So they get in it and they turn out worse than what they were before. And, you know, I'm looking at it like this. Like now I'm looking at these religions I'm looking at them in the form of mental illnesses. What do you do with people who are who have these different mental illnesses? You set up a quote unquote mental asylum. You place these uh, uh, disorderly people in the asylum in the area where or uh, where they would be you know, best suited for this particular type of mental, uh, um, I guess you could say mentally disabled person. You know, they're physically able. They are they're mentally unstable. They do that to us in society. They place us in these different areas, and they treat us accordingly. <clears throat> but they call it status. That's all they just did. But I'm telling you, man, I look at these different, quote, unquote, idolatries or what they want to call them, and I just, I'm just saying to myself that these are what they call mental illnesses because they steer away from the norm or the, uh, the course of nature, so to speak. If people want to say, well, what is normal? Normal would basically be the course of nature. And sticking to it, that is what normal is. Well, when people say, well, isn't there homosexuality in animals? No, that's what white people or white scientists have basically gathered or conjured up in their minds to justify why they do the things that they do when they don't even call themselves animals. They call themselves human. Well, don't animals steal? No, animals, they, do, they don't steal. I'm the animal steal. Because animals don't necessarily understand the power of possession. They just only take because they just believe that in their minds it's theirs. Maybe they don't, they don't fully comprehend what possession is. They don't write out contracts. Otherwise, they just take so they don't understand the whole power of possession. If they just take in it and don't care that they're taking it, you know, but um, and can they reason behind the fact that they took, they took in it? Who knows? I mean, if they've never given it back, then obviously they don't understand the power of, you know, possession. But um, I don't know, man. I, You know, I hear what Octi and Nisha said, and I'm just thinking to myself, we're dealing, you know, with idolatry, but idolatry, when we look at it for what it is, it would just be another... Uh, case of mental illnesses. It's just another case of mental illness. Al Gary, what do you think about that? 
Sorry, I was heads on mute. Um, I'm sorry, bro. You go ahead, you brother. Look- I don't know if you're going to find it or not. Go ahead, brother. Oh, I ain't, I ain't never looked at it as a uh, case of mental illness. But now that you mention it, there's a lot of un, un how you say it, un undiagnosed cases going around. That these people get on their job. You you know what, brother? I think. Well, let me say it in this way. I I believe that they are. That's why they. That's why the government goes to the great strength of trying to eliminate us. Um, but when I mean, I guess now you know it's the time for us to kind of understand why we um do the things that we do, and then you know find ways to try to. Grow out of it because we weren't born, you know, serving Jesus or uh, or um, uh, Yahweh Shai Basham, whatever they call it, or uh, we weren't, you know, born serving Krishna or Krishna. We weren't born worshiping Krampus. We weren't born worshiping Christmas. We weren't born worshiping Saint Patrick weren't born worshiping, you know, the 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 Buddha, uh or um or Serapis or Tamus or whatever you want to call it. We weren't born worshiping, you know, Air Jordans or Maseratis or money or um we weren't born worshiping celebrities or worshiping pastors or preachers or presidents. Um, we weren't born doing these things. Like these things were uh instilled in us through doctrine. So now we have to understand the doctrine so that we can go out of it. And you go out of it by applying reasoning to what it is that you know. Now of course some things are stronger than some. Some things take a lot more understanding than others because, again, a lot of these things have grown a part of uh, our daily lives. Um, but the thing about it is, I believe that, and I know now that our love for our Creator is bigger than our desire to want to, you know, do the things that we do. Um, so I believe that there is a way to get out of it, but it's going to come through us actually applying, uh, you know, applying the things that nature has gave us and understand how to apply it. But on that note, um, you said there are a lot of undiagnosed people. <laughs> They've been diagnosed. They've been, you know, color-coded. But now they did not, but that, you know, that part of the asylum has passed or has it has extended itself to window, uh, to a prison without walls. You know, we live in a universal, we live in a universal asylum now, a universal mental asylum, you know, and um, 
our wards, so to speak, our wardens, they, um, or is it wards? No, wardens. Wardens are basically the people, you're supposed to be your legal guardians. The wardens, they are the ones that, um, you know, they, they, they need to be in chains with the rest of the people who are calling themselves, you know, saved, who are really sick. They need to be in chains too. Because they're just as, they're just as uh, a little, you know, ratchet in the head as, you know, the people that they're supposed to be, you know, guarding. But that's besides the point, you know. But um, I'll open up the floor once more. I won't keep us on too long, but I will just open up the floor again if anybody has anything that they want to share. Um Yeah, anybody have anything that they want to share? Okay. Um, Ati, Anisha, do you have anything you want to share at this particular point? The only thing that I'm thinking of is Kanye West meeting with Trump. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Oh. Um, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Well, I saw it too, but I didn't really like. What the heck was that about? What's yeah, more? but even people, but see, a lot of people are still trying to figure out what that is about. And you know, honestly, I mean, nothing really surprises me anymore. You know, and it doesn't even surprise me that they met. And 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 honestly, it really doesn't bother me that they met. I mean, what, what was it like? You know, Obama got to be with Hove and. Trump gets Jesus. You know, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 um, I mean, I just look at that situation. I'm just kind of like, oh, like, why would Donald Trump meet with Kanye? And then I just look at, you know, what's going on. And then, and my mind, I'm just thinking to myself, well, you know. I guess that's, I mean, I guess that's just, um, I guess that's just, you know, I, I guess normal, so to speak. You know, when you have people who are in business, doing business together, then I guess that works. But, you know, I can't help but to notice his his structure, the, the, the structure of his platform and the, and the type of people that he's pulling into his circle. A lot of these people are like either celebrities. They're, they're, they're like, I mean, it's, un, it's really undescribable under, because there's so many different people from so many walks of life that he's actually trying to make part of the administration. I don't really get it, but I guess it, it, it may work for him. Because, I mean, he's a quote-unquote businessman. I won't say he's successful. I mean, he's successful than many because I don't think a lot of people got Donald Trump money. So let me just say it that way. But I will say, like, um, I just think I'm looking at it and I'm just kind of like, yeah, uh, they met and, um, it's just really interesting. The only thing I can think of is that time when 
uh, Emo was telling us about how they, you know, there was this meeting that they were having where they would try to, like, merge, you know, these corporations and stuff for, like, a better, you know, uh, world or something like that. That's the only thing I keep thinking about with this whole platform. But, I mean, I, you know, it's too early to really tell what it is uh, because this is the inception of uh, what they call New America. But, I mean, I mean, I guess it's something to keep your eyes on. But them meeting is, I mean, I guess, you know, would be interesting for me as if Prince, you know, was reportedly come back from the dead and, and then he met Donald Trump. I mean, I think that would be more surprised at that. But just nothing now, just nothing seems to surprise me anymore. I mean, it's just America's just full of surprises and full of lies. Uh, um, or uh, they're full of things seemingly. Let me just say it that way. Because uh, I think a lot of the lies, you know, it, it can be verified, uh, but it's just certain things that they do that, you know, it looks like truth, but it really isn't true. Now, I want to say, people say, well, isn't that a lie? <laughs> I really think that lies have a degree <laughs> at this particular point because something could be, you know, not necessarily a lie, but it's not necessarily the truth either. Um, so I guess maybe it is or maybe it is a lie to a certain degree, but I don't know. I'm just going to sit back and say for the most part, you know, if it didn't make sense to y'all, um, you know, I apologize for dealing with that, but even in that, I'm going to just say that whole meeting, it just didn't surprise me. Uh, I think if I started seeing more, you know, people like um, maybe if he sat down with, well, I know he, I, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think one time he met with Oprah, but that wasn't, I don't know if that was, uh, that was like, Earlier in the year, not. I'm not sure exactly how that when that was. I just saw her name one time, and then I saw Donald Trump's name, and then I'm thinking to myself, okay, what is that about? But um, we gonna have to sit back and just kind of just wait and see. I mean, right now it's December, so we're we'll be approaching the time where uh, they should be finishing up this electoral count. Because if I, I remember watching a video not too long ago, probably like maybe uh, uh, late November, where they were talking about how the rest of the states never called, the, you know, called the rest of their votes, and where mm-hmm. this is the time where they could legally change the vote. Uh, and yeah. there's still a chance that Hillary can actually win. This is, and But you know who's going to really be blindsided, though? These so-called Negroes, they're blindsided because they swore up and down. They went to the voting pool. I thought I had voted for Hillary anyway. I thought I, well, see, I, yeah, I know she's going to win this. She's going to win because I voted for her. No, she's not going to win because you voted for her. If she did win, it ain't because you voted for her. It's because her, her, uh, her supervisor is quicker. <laughs> she got the job. That's all that is. It has nothing to do with you low-level McDonald's fries flippers and burger flippers and soda, you know, soda uh, toppers. It has nothing to do with you. 
all you do is salt the fries and flip the burgers and pop the uh, soda. <laughs> That's all you do. You do not sign any checks. You don't do any payrolls. You don't even write the schedule. All you do is just come to Flip work. That's all you do. So, you understand what I'm saying? And, you know, when you try to make it that easier for black people to understand, they still look at you like you crazy. I asked somebody a couple of, about a year and a half ago when they was out there doing voters' registration, I said, well, are you affiliated with the, with the you know, Republican or Democratic Party? No. Well, then why are you voting? Right. Why are you why are you voting? Well, my ancestors. Your ancestors <laughs> didn't even know about the system that was put in place to allow them the right to vote. So now all of a sudden you got the right to vote. You don't even know that they have to they have to come together and decide whether or not to even honor that contract. Like, come on, what? man! Like, it's got to be outside of the like. I'm telling you, something catastrophic has got to happen for Negroes, but then the wind uh, fell up because of that. I'm gonna send. I'm gonna send you something via Facebook, Facebook inbox. But like, like what happened? Like she conceded. So how can she now be president-elect after she conceded? That's a question. And then the, well, her. see, here's a, here's the thing. Because um, I was telling, I had just said. Um, it's not legally binding, so to speak. Now, I don't know how true that is either. But there was a guy who did a video, and that is exactly how I ended up finding Well, actually, I had learned about the whole December 19th way before I seen the video. Just so happened the guy was explaining in the video that, yes, she did concede it, but he was saying that it's not legally binding. And just because they announced that he is the president doesn't make that legally binding because the rest of the states never called the rest of the vote. And I was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, then you learn something new every day because I just thought that once that, you know, you get enough votes, then you won. But they did, she, he did get enough votes. She did, however, get enough votes. But yeah, I don't he think he... He won the popular vote by, like, 2 million. Yeah, he won the popular vote. Well, no, I'm sorry. She won the popular, won vote. The popular vote. Yeah, she won the, the popular vote, but he she ended up getting the electoral vote. Wow. You understand what I'm saying? But, you know, what Priest had, like Priest had made mention, and this, I guess you can say, and not, I guess you can say, but this is, you know, popular political, you know, science stuff that, you know, the electoral college has the right to change their mind about, <laughs> you know, whether or not to go with the popular vote. But at the end of the day, I mean, because, again, you guys have to remember we live in a representative democracy, or so they paint the picture of. Um, but at the end of the day, man, you know, I, I I just, you know, when this whole December 19th thing comes up and Hillary Clinton gets announced or however the situation goes, black folks are going to be looking at it like, ha, ah, yeah, we won. But I'm sitting here looking at myself. No, you didn't. Because <laughs> if you want to be technical, look like Donald Trump is really just setting everything up. So if she does get put in office, everything will really just be set up because he got pretty much a lot of heavy hitters. You understand what I'm saying? And not on top of that, let's just say she doesn't win. 
with Donald Trump being in there, it's like she won because they all he doing is playing the game. All he doing is playing the field. He's really Democratic masquerading as a Republican. There's Democratic principles written all in his platform. It is like he's using the Republican platform to really just get over on the people. It's like he's using the Republican platform to bring out all the crackpots. Exactly. So there really isn't any more Republican Party at this particular point. There's no Republican, no, no Republican that uh, in that uh, uh, Congress anymore at this particular point. It's, it's but like, this is the thing, though, mm-hmm. the Republicans and the Democrats were always the same people. Right, right. And, and Okay, but you know what? I think that would be hard to believe for a lot of people because, again, they don't understand government. They don't understand why it's set up the way that it is. But they've always kind of just been the – they've always been the same – uh, they they go hand in hand. They're a mirror image of each other. You know, it's just a, well, I look at it like this. Can a basketball team play themselves on the basketball court? I mean, it could. <laughs> but it wouldn't be as fun. Right. Because then they, they want to be able to challenge themselves outside of themselves. So they need to have another opponent. You know, it's like when uh, uh, when the Romans wanted to basically, you know, make, or when the Romans finally got into this whole Christianity doctrine and dogma, they had to give, you know, the people Jesus in order to hold them up. So see, Jesus wouldn't have uh, he wouldn't have any credibility if he didn't have an adversary. <laughs> so they gave him the devil <laughs> or Satan or some red man with pantyhose and a pitchfork. You understand what I'm saying? It's like they, they, they're they really a mirror image of each other. And, you know, they're, they're really just getting over on the masses, so to speak. But, again, I just like to look at it like, there's attorneys and then there's lawyers. I think the attorneys are pretty much the uh was the, the there's the House of Representatives and then there's the uh there's the House of Representatives and what's the other one? I can't even believe the I Senate, forgot that. The Congress? Yeah, there's the Senate. No, the Senate and the House of Representatives make up the Congress. But then there's, yeah, because the Senate is the lower house and then the representatives the upper house. Um, but, um, man, it's just really, really interesting at this particular point how people don't really see the see the system, you know, being pulled over their eyes at this particular point. But they won't know until they start playing the game. And, you know, at this particular point, man, I think it's okay, you know, that we're still a small nation and we, you know, we're seeing this stuff. That's good because that means, like, once we work out the kinks within our own selves, we can fully make the smooth transition of helping other people, and then everything else 
the system will begin to crumble even more because now you don't have anybody to sustain it unless they bring in more refugees or unless they bring in more people. You understand what I'm saying? From the Middle East, to, you know, house them over there in St. Louis. Anybody hear about that? Now they're housing those uh, Syrian refugees uh-huh. in St. Louis. Wow. Well, they just my dad was saying that they just left. Let the um, they had the Jap- Japanese and in, in permanent housing. And they just, you know, uh, they just released them. So I, wow. I, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> That's got to be That's some fine. really interesting stuff, the Syrians. I mean, well, I mean, honestly, well, no, let me not say that, because I don't know what those Syrians lives were like before they moved over here. And I can't say, oh, well, they may have better living conditions because I was never in Syria. All they, I'm saying is... They destroyed Syria. They destroyed Syria. They destroyed Damascus. I mean, like... Mm. Yeah. Man, that's they crazy. Dirty. They just do it. Wow. It's sad, but you know, uh you know, it's it's really a game being played, um and it's gonna really take some very uh sharp, you know, game players to really, you know, play the game. Like, now I think a lot of people are getting inside of these religions because they really don't want to cope with reality. The religion is their way out. And you can see this. I mean, I've seen, I've, I've literally seen it. I've seen it time and time again. Even the Hebrew Israelite, well, I think, like, you know, some of the camps and stuff like that, I think that is, you know, a lot of our brothers who call unquote conscious, call themselves conscious, I think it's their way out of actually dealing with the reality that we live in. Because, see, now they've built up this idea that, oh, well, you can have multiple wives. You All you got to do is follow the law. They still haven't figured that out yet. And then all you got to do is say, all you got to do is know how to say the, 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 the Lord's real name. Then they argue about that. I'm just kind of like, but y'all already got like 22 different ways to say the same thing. You're just saying it in a different Ahaya. way. Yahuwah. I, I, I can't even Yeshaya. say some of the things that they do. I'd be like, really? You know, I, I I can't even say some of the stuff that they come up with. But it's like, y'all, like y'all might as well have just stayed Christians or just stayed those or whatever y'all were before because y'all really, you know, I mean, Y'all almost this is worse than what you started. If you don't have a beard, then you're not a hero. If you if you're not practicing what they call if you don't follow the law, like today. I saw this one guy, he was basically like it was almost kinda of like he was interrogating a brother. And he was asking him like the the most like I'm sitting there like, wait a minute. How are you gonna ask him these questions? I would assume that you would have asked these questions because you're uh, you're actually doing it yourself. But then I know he wasn't doing it himself because that's just the way that we are. And I I realize that that's usually what's going on because a lot of people are really trying to pull information out of you. But yeah, I um he was asking them all kinds of questions. 
What is what is love according to the Bible? How do you yeah. get it? What does God look for in this, that, and the other? I'm sitting there like you in the last five seconds in the ring with some of the sisters in our nation asking a question <laughs> like that. Because I know where you're going at. Well, that's some camp. That's some camp doctrine bullcrap that y'all then formulated in order to try to recruit people in y'all group, like y'all doing some doing something major. And it's almost kind of like, why not just formulate some type of business or something and then just be good at that? But don't be trying to hide behind the, I guess you can say, you know, don't be trying to hide behind the, this walk. Oh, and you can have multiple wives. Then they argue about that. Oh, well, I don't see in the Bible where it says that you can have, you know, 22 wives or I know Paul, you know, the women didn't sin and all this other different stuff. Oh, you showed me in the Bible where they did sin. Well, it was Adam who sinned. No, it was Eve that sinned. No, Abraham wasn't the Christ. David wasn't no Christ. David was a murderer. David killed Uriah. So he was a murderer. I was just kind of like, y'all read the book. Please read the book and shut up for once. Read the book and shut up. Because what yeah, you're going to yeah. find out is that none of the people in the Bible were perfect. None of the people claimed to be. The people were living people just like you and me, and they made mistakes. Everybody makes them. They were telling you their stories that just will happen to be recorded and put on public record, and this is done according to law. There's nothing really magical about it. All it is is to show you these things that were happening with kings and how they lived their lives or in how they tried to build government. What is so hard for us to Like, how can we not see that? But then again, I had to I, I had to remember while I'm asking that question, and I had to remember I'm asking that question about brothers and sisters who went through generation, generation, generation of a, a curse of slavery. It was physical, not as mental, and they don't know how to get out of it. So they take it in every facet of life that they go through, and all they know is slavery. They then got to a point where they slaved their own people, and then they get mad at the white people for enslaving them. You enslaving your own people, not. It's just crazy to me, man. I just think it's it's outlandish. Does anybody have anything else they want to say? Any other topics? Okay. Um. I did promise I wasn't going to keep us here long because it's, it's it's like 9.58 after the hour. Uh, for those who don't know, we are in our last week. We'll be returning in January. I um, will be keeping posted the date that we return. Um, so please, you guys, if you can, come out to, you know, fellowship. That way, you know, we guys can keep you abreast as to when we'll return uh, any major updates in the nation, uh, that and more. Um, but on that note, I would say take this, you know, break to kind of go in your Bibles again and just kind of read. Um, I'm not going to tell you what to read. 
but eventually you'll you'll find something that you did not read before and is you know expound on it. And um on that note I'll um yeah. I'll go over um to adjournment. Uh, but before I do close, I'm just going to ask one more time, anybody have anything that they want to say? Speak down forever, all you peace. Okay. Uh, it is now not 10 o'clock. Uh, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9 o'clock p.m. Central. We can now adjourn for the rest of the evening. You guys enjoy the rest of your uh uh, time off. Shabbat. I'm in some Shabbat. Shalom, shalom, everybody. <laughs> I, was, hey, no, I was ready. I was ready. I was ready for. I was ready for Shabbat. Okay. Shalom. <laughs> shalom, everybody. Shalom, y'all. Shalom, 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 everybody. Oh, I forgot. I didn't do that. That's pre-setting that up, so I can't do it. Okay.
Hello? Is anyone on the line? Uh, hello, hello, hello. 